Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exodus for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of comics, mutants, magic, and marvels through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, and we have a full episode for you today. First up, we're going to take a look at the debut issue of Jerry Dugan's X-Men before transitioning over to the most recent issue of Children of the Atom. We're going to have a crew take a look at the best moments of the Hellfire Gala before taking another step into the Heroes Reborn-verse with the Heroes Reborn side stories, as well as the Zarda-centric issue Heroes Reborn 6, which gave us that beautiful rainbow axe. First up, myself, Jonah, Kyle, and Dante investigate the magic of X-Men number one and talk about the structure of the team as well as the structure of the title. We really enjoyed it, and we hope you guys do too. And if you enjoy what you hear, you might like what you see, so don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Twitter and Patreon as well as YouTube where we put up the Daily X, posting new material daily. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exodus for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey everyone, this is Dante, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at InfernoMagic. That is magic with a K. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. And we hope you survive this experience, just like we hope that Ben's brisket survived him having to run out for a minute. (laughs) Clearly, if we're talking about the Fantastic Four and the X-Men interacting, and this is X-Men number one, I guess we must be in August of 1963. Okay, wait, that doesn't feel right. Then uh, perhaps this is summer of 1991? No, 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 no. Getting well, warmer. I sure as fuck don't want it to be the Victor Gishler issues. So let's not hope it's the Volume 3 launch. No, of course, we're here to talk about the seventh motherfucking volume of a book called X-Men, right? Now, this one is, of course, written by the helmer of the incredible planet-sized X-Men, Jerry Dugan, with beautiful art by Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia. We have incredible letters by Clayton Cowles, courtesy of VC, and Tom Muller is still the guy rocking it on design up and down the coast. Now, I would love to sit here on the floor and cry about how many names there are that made variant covers, but let's just, you know, just clap it out for the variant covers for a second because there's a lot, right? Um, I really cannot get over how it feels like X-Men number one just relaunched. In so many ways, this is almost a psychologically jarring experience to compare with the Hickman U number one, which felt like just the opposite of this in so many amazingly symmetrical ways that I really liked. How do you guys feel, just thinking back on that number one, before we get into this one, how different the X-Men are from X-Men number one to X-Men number one? Mm, It feels like a team book again. I'm excited, but at the same time, it kind of feels like mental whiplash where we've gotten used to things the way that they have been for a year, and now all of a sudden we're returning back to the way it was originally. I have to agree with you, Kyle. That does feel like a team book as opposed to the Summers Family Value, which just focused primarily on the Summers Family and how they're kind of handling it, Krakoa. 
And it's not that their perspective isn't important, it's not that it's not valued, and it's not that it wasn't interesting. There are just other families to focus on, and the title specifically, X-Men, invokes that you're actually talking about the team of X-Men, not the very specific Summers family. I, as Cyclops diehard fan, obviously loved the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the major focus with the Summers family on the on the other volume of X-Men. But I, I couldn't help but feel like Hickman's X-Men felt more like, let's take it back to the 90s, X-Men Unlimited, where it was kind of like one-off stories that could branch off into other titles, but didn't really have like continuous stories from issue to issue. They really felt like one-off. And so this, this new X-Men already feels like, okay, we're getting a, a continuous story. We are focusing on a team and building story arcs and following that through so i'm really i'm actually really excited about that because i feel like that was the one thing that was missing from hickman's x-men for me and you know it really is great that you brought up you know the fact that they all felt kind of like x-men unlimited issues for those who are playing along at home but might not be familiar x-men unlimited was a giant sized quarterly book that was put together by supposed to be some of the best and brightest talents in the industry and it was to help ease fifth week shipping schedules what people might not realize is that comics are usually slotted to ship by week. That means that they know the first week of every month is going to get this book. So they never have to worry by doing it, oh, by the date or something. No, no, no. This Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month gets this book. The second Wednesday of every month gets that book. What do you do when you get to the five-week months? In that case, you either needed to double ship an issue, which was frequently too hard on your creatives, or pump out an annual. The problem was that there reached a point where annuals began to have a sort of uh, saccharine taste in your mouth. Annual crossovers were frequently limited to just being annual crossovers, inexplicably all written by Terry Cavanaugh. And it was just sort of a thing that the X-Books did. So when Unlimited, this opportunity for a number of the books that were created by the hotshot artists who would go on to launch the image label, such as Jim Lee or Todd McFarland, those titles got Unlimited. And those were uh, a sort of way that they could kind of restroke the industry with another big prestige issue. And while, unfortunately, quickly, the title did sort of get derailed by the nature of the image departure and then the comic implosion of the mid-90s, it did churn out a number of really incredible stories. One year, I actually got a collection of those stories for Kyle for Christmas because I'm such a big fan of those stories. And, you know, it really was a title that showed a lot of promise. We did get a number of incredible stories and incredible series out of it, like the would-be-launched New Mutants Volume 2 that grew out of the pages of the Christina Weir and Nunzio De Filippis Moonstar story that appeared in the pages of X-Men Unlimited. So I very much not just agree with you, Dante, but I even think the historical context really does speak to the heart of what the Krakoan Age is able to be. This universe where anybody can be anything. Why can't the X-Men now live in a big treehouse and have a giant robot? Why not, right? And that's I want a giant robot. I want a giant fucking robot that I make on the spot because we're all so cool. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, all right, two things. <laughs> I want to start with the cast for half a second, all right? This cast was everything to me. Laura is the Wolverine in so many ways. Jean is, you know, my everything. Scott has grown on me stupendously over the last couple of years. He's my everything. Right? And he gets to be your everything because you were there first. So I'm just going to take runner-up. I'll be Emma in this instance. But man, Cyclops really shines in this issue in a very human way. 
I am always down for a roguishly good time. With the inclusion of Sunfire, Polaris, and Sync, we're getting an infusion of new blood into this X-Men, even if some of them have been kind of X-Men before in one way or another. And I can't help but notice how much this team grows out of probably the most popular stories of the Docs era. How did you guys feel about stepping into this new team of X-Men, this very formal, cool team? It was almost like they took all the good people from all the other titles and said, well, they're popular. We can put them in a book. Although it's no, I know it's not how that happened, but it is kind of funny how that it kind of turned out that way. But regardless of that, I really enjoy this team because this team feels very diverse and an already diverse cast. I like that it's a lot of characters that many people would enjoy and are well-known and are some of the A-listers. And there are some characters who I think maybe there aren't as many fans as their teammates, but could use them and could use the spotlight. So I appreciate that there are some members that wouldn't be my first pick, but they're somebody else's first pick. And that's really important for them. Jonah, I feel you're, you're right in a sense but it's not necessarily by the titles i feel like it's krakoa it's the the characters the the mutants who have shined during the krakoa era coming together for this new team of x-men obviously we had the x-men issues with laura and everett which was really well received sunfire having like his big moment in sword during the king and black storyline so you know it's it's characters who've like really proved themselves to krakoa at, at some point in this new era and i think that's why we're seeing them uh, as this new new team and for me i mean i love it but it's a great dynamic it's been a lot of fun so far for this first issue so i i'm excited i want i want to see more i'm excited by this cast a few of them got more page time than others specifically sunfire he seemed to just be there I wish that he had a little more screen time, but they all seem to be able to work organically together, which I really enjoy as a team. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they grow together in the coming issues. You know, and one of the last big times that Rogue hung out with Sunfire, he kind of had his legs chopped off and she kind of absorbed his powers and then had fire and flight for a while. So I'm like, huh, at least he doesn't hold any grudges, right? Because that was not the best era. Shortly thereafter, he became one of the horsemen of Apocalypse for like a hot second. So it's certainly an interesting turn to see them back on the same team. And I do agree with you. This title was bursting at the seams with characters. And I wonder if in the same way that Dante, you likened the previous iteration of this run. Dante, in the way that you compared the previous iteration to X-Men Unlimited, in that it had this potential to set up ideas. One of the things that I really loved that this issue gave me was a new villain, a sort of larger-than-life situation, the X-Men behaving in a way that we've probably never seen them before. This also smacked of Unlimited, but whereas there were definitely issues on Unlimited, like the second issue, which featured on Magneto, in a sort of slow-boil way, this was much more like the first issue versus Sienna Blaze, which was a lot more nonstop action in a dramatic way. And I really did feel like so much of the cute, adorable screen time was given to the characters we probably recognize a little bit better, like Cyclops and Jean. And if I had a small regret, it was that Wolverine definitely came in the way a Wolverine would come in. But Laura, I think, maybe does need a little bit of extra page time than perhaps Logan would. 
and I felt like Rogue flew in like the cavalry in the third act, just all very, hey, sugar, the cavalry's here, so the issue's going to work out. And that might be like my big takeaway from this that I wasn't thrilled about. The pacing kind of fell apart for me on those character moments. How did everybody else feel about the overall pacing of the issue, whether it was about characters or action? Action-wise, I felt like the pacing was pretty good. We were getting a little bit of that buildup set up, and we you know, kind of flawlessly jumped into some action and then things were happening. I think character wise, though, I I think I really have to agree. My first thought was, is this too big of a cast? It does feel like it's a little uneven with the uh, screen time and the like the the real character moments. So hopefully Jerry, you know, balances that out in future um, issues, because otherwise we might have a real issue. And I mean, unless unless Sunfire is there just so he can quit. (laughs) Which I hope is his thing. thing. (laughs) But you know, like I, because I really like all the uh, all these members, so I want them all to have that time. I want, and and so I'm hoping also. I think you're right because we're we're familiar with certain characters. We won't need as much screen time from Gene and Cyclops. They're pretty pretty established, especially in this Krakoan era. So hopefully that means that we can shift, uh, you know, to some of these other characters and give them some some more love. Uh, for me, I think that the the action was well-paced. I just felt like there were too many storylines going on. But you mean the Man of Mars plus the giant treehouse plus the giant mecha lighthouse plus the, yeah, everything else was too... What? What? In 36 pages? What? What? This thing was yeah. longer than planet size. It was it longer was. than planet yeah. size. <laughs> plus, plus the guy that is testing radiation against... No, I'm going to sleep humans. tonight. Yeah. Tonight, I, sleep. <laughs> I, it, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by all of the, all of these storylines, but I was a little overwhelmed with how much they were trying to put into one book. I really understand your feelings of sensory overload, especially with these plot threads that they've basically unraveled for us to try to follow. I don't know if there's anything inherently wrong with the amount they introduced, just maybe where they introduced it. I imagine a couple of things probably could have waited till issue two or three or four to be introduced in a main plot point because there already is enough here that is its story all on its own. I don't know if we need every single threat and every single plot point that we'll eventually be getting to in the first issue. I think there's a little more setting up that could have been done. I think there could have been a little more team building because I know a lot of these characters haven't been on a team with each other before and that even though they might know each other well enough through this Krakoan age they've never worked together on teams outside of you know certain pairings so it would be more interesting to see how they're reacting to something like that but I do at least commend that if they are going to overload our sensors at least everything is interesting it's not like these plots aren't interesting and that they're not going anywhere and I have a really specific thought about this team as it kind of relates to the way they're able to all work together as a single unit and that does bring us into the villains but one of the things that i think is really important about this team is that they are a team marked by tragedy in so many ways scott summers is an inherently tragic character and yes i know a lot of the x-men are very tragic but i wouldn't call gambit tragic as much as i would call him the architect of his own failings he is a character that repeatedly gets himself into situations that are greater than he is capable of you know dealing with and as a result finds himself tragic but scott summers has tragedy thrust upon him. Jean Grey has tragedy thrust upon her. Laura is like genetically designed to be tragic. Rogue's very 
creation is defined by emotional destruction. You know, that's that's the origin of her character. And then such a humongous part of her narrative as she went forward was an inability to experience intimacy. Poor Polaris. Like, it's almost like a first-year med student in, in a psych class was like, okay, this textbook, give it to Polaris. And that's why she has been through everything she's been through. Sunfire, one might not realize how tragic he is, but I mean, from like having his people nearly wiped out to being the only superhero in Japan to having his legs chopped off, the guy's been through the ringer. And, you know, poor Sink. Sink doesn't get to have stories to have tragic stories. Sink just gets to be tragic. And there is something about the idea of taking, for the most part, such big names, such big character entities, and some pretty some pretty cool unknown quantities, and bringing them together, and to have the result be that they're able to function beautifully together. Almost like, even if they've never been a team before, they're united by a common goal, and sort of capable of seeing how to work through each other's common damage. So, I mean, here we are. I have to ask. Guys, Mechasu, holy shit. Right? Everybody, holy shit. Most of the reactions from the team have been, it's so stupid that if you don't love it, there's something wrong with you. And that is kind of how I feel about it. Like, it's it's kind of maybe a little bit beyond my suspension of disbelief, but in a way that brings me joy. It's silly breaking my suspension of disbelief, not ridiculous. And I, I really enjoyed it. What did you guys think about Mecha X-Men? This was my favorite part of the entire issue. I loved that we got a Zord of the X-Men, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of intrigue, and it made me feel happy and special. And I was like, oh, cool, this is where we're going with the X-Men. Like, It's no longer just punchy, punchy bad guy. Oh, this bad guy is actually sympathetic. Oh, this bad guy might be a mutant who's later going to join us. Punchy, punchy, oh, this is a giant robot that's sent to kill us. No, they're the giant robot sent to not kill them, but to defend them. I also appreciated, because there are times with Power Rangers, when they're forming the big sword with all the people combined that i feel like some people got the short end of the stick like if they got like like the legs kind of like oh because like you always get someone gets to be like one of the arms or the head i'm the knee joint exactly um but it felt like everybody had equal opportunity to do something and feel special thought it was very funny when i believe it was polaris had her arm ripped off and so she didn't have anything to control it's like well that's your fault I absolutely love Giant Mecha, so this this brought a giant smile to my face when I read it. I especially loved that they pretty much made Sunfire the the reactor of the the robot, and I kind I kind of want to know how their powers actually interact with it because it, it kind of looks like Cyclops's eye beams are magnified through whatever i love it and i hope we see more of it even if it's just the the lighthouse on the atlantic portion of krakoa is no one going to point out the fact that it looks like a giant mecha minion it did look like a minion my other thought process was this is a very weird cut it looked like the coal miner from the end of incredibles one okay okay the underminer the underminer oh yeah live under you but nothing is beneath me (laughs) i really kind of love this ridiculous so i mean i do i think it's kind of dumb but like in all the best ways i love that they this was kind of the new evolution of the mutant machine was literally using all their powers to build a machine that they all operate together and i love that (laughs) i mean it's 
it's just too funny. I mean, and and it it kind of has like elements of them. Uh, the only thing I feel like it was really missing was maybe some some like Wolverine claws thrown in there. <laughs> but every cool X Men robot that has ever been Wolverine based has had fucking claws, man. Where were the claws? Were you going to tell me that the little lighthouse minion steampunk fucko man couldn't have claws? I think fucko could have claws. I don't By see any reason why it couldn't. Combined, we shall form fucko. mecha fucko. Mecha fucko. I'm telling you, it's where it is, right? So, okay, we have been a lot of places in this issue, but one place we haven't been is a bit of familiar territory captain rich guy with lots of problems is a really interesting evolution of the human in the krakoan age now we've seen things like the reavers and the human over the years i'm not sure that i'm sold this one can be different i think what's different is the method of infection into the x-men's world i think if he can get himself to pass on mars okay well now we're fucked but i don't know that this character feels as breath of fresh airsy as the rest of the book does and to make it the opening in a way that felt very much like it was referencing joss whedon's astonishing x-men the kavita rao and tilly sequences that very stark broad widescreen opening shot and then for this issue to be their reintegration into New York and the Fantastic Four to show up, more smacks of Astonishing Run. I do believe that perhaps that parallel was only created for me by the weakness of that opening scene, which was, again, one of the only real problems I had with what was an incredibly fun read. How do you guys feel about the return to the idea of the evolution of humans in a forceful method as a method of competing with the mutes? I definitely made that connection to the you men. I'm kind of surprised that they're making that move but at the same time haven't we seen other similarities with you men in the other books that we've been reading over the last year oh you know what yeah that's a really great point i was so you know uh so myopically focused on my favorite tent poles that I didn't think about all of the gross stuff over in X-Force with extrapolating on Domino's flesh or some of the other gross stuff in X-Force. Yeah, I guess it's mostly X-Force, but we're definitely seeing it. Definitely. I mean, you could even stretch it enough with Cable and Strife kind of abducting those those mutant babies. Oh, yeah, with the and all of the people trying to make themselves be like, yeah, yep. yeah, okay, okay, Kyle with the with the serve, a great job, you cleared the net, everybody's you know doing um hanging with the boys we're all we're all definitely doing this sequence to hang in with the boys, right because we're playing volleyball, so <laughs> it course. has to be of course, hanging with the boys right, um, it's one of life's little joys, so about because Kyle, that was a great point, I super loved it. How do you guys feel about the advancement of humankind in this artificial method and knowing that it is something that as Kyle pointed out we've seen actually really recently how do you guys feel about the dramatic framing of it as an opening sequence I thought for me it worked um, only because there was a slight difference that I saw in all of the iterations that we have seen up to this point and you know I'm sure somebody will find something to correct me with on this but you know he made this change to himself not in response to the mutants not to attack the mutants it was it was for a different purpose altogether that was then thwarted by the mutants which is giving him cause to you know hate 
<laughs> hate the, the, the Krakoan mutants right now. Whereas I feel like everything else, it was like, you know, if we're talking about the Reavers, well, they were they were basically, they were modified so they get revenge on Wolverine. Okay, you know, hold they, on. I, I need to check because I think you're making the most incredible point I've ever heard. Are you saying that, the, that what makes this guy different is previous X-Men enemies were powered by hate, but this guy's powered by capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's still, it's still hate w- running with the capitalism, right? I mean, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I I mean, that's, yeah, no, no, no. That I mean, that was the only like subtle difference I could see because otherwise, yes, we have seen so many iterations, variations of humans modifying themselves and being the villain. To be fair, it's not a hatred for the mutants, it's hatred for everybody and himself, especially his parents. And I think that's different enough. He's not trying to evolve to compete with mutants. It's more so it felt like he was trying to compete to evolve to be the best out of everybody. It seems like this is a lot more of a selfish endeavor as opposed to I'm going to help humankind not be overrun by mutants slash homo superior. It's more of I deserve to be the best and on top. I'm gifted. Why am I not number one? How do I make myself number one? I don't think he's looking to patent a technique or tech or anything to make the humans on par with mutants. I think he's more trying to make himself above everybody else. When we're thinking about what the X-Men represent and who the X-Men are meant to be, one of the most important things for me is knowing that the X-Men have an emotional moral center that is defined by the need to protect others. I recognize how the departure for the Krakoan Age was necessary because the X-Men had to, for once, protect themselves. But with that said, I think we find ourselves in an era where the X-Men can not just go back to being heroes, but they can kind of go back to being flossy fancy. And that's, I think, something that we've really missed, at least I've missed, from the X-Men in the last couple of years. But I didn't realize how much I just missed them being in a city. I didn't realize how much, for me, being a part of an enculturation outside of just mutancy, but in a world where Scott taking a picture with like a random person posing, finally getting to be the celebrity superstar that he's always wanted to be in some regard. I know Scott doesn't do it for the glory, but like, you know, he's always wanted to be able to be that kind of guy that anybody could just go up and take a picture with him. I didn't realize how much I missed the intimacy of a macrocosm in that way, a sort of intimacy that can only exist within a macrocosm where you can have those touch of moment coming and goings. There was something so honest about seeing the X-Men in a big open area that reminded me that the stage they're playing on isn't just galactic, but it's also very personal and human. Did the human did the human touches in this transform the title for you in an interesting way? Or am I looking for things that aren't there? <laughs> well, there were, I think, my favorite part, or at least the, the most notable to me is the Avengers and Fantastic Four actually being happy that the X-Men are back because they're probably finally happy that another team can, you know, take over if they're trying to do something. It was really a moment that didn't go unnoticed of how almost genuinely, like, happy that even the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, that the X-Men who have had some problems with and past issues and events uh, are, you know, excited to see them. That actually kind of threw me for a loop just because of how strained things have been between the X-Men and uh, the Avengers, as well as the Fantastic Four. So I'm wondering what happened 
recently that caused those two groups to react differently to this group of X-Men all of a sudden, especially with how everybody seemed really thrown off by the events of planet-sized X-Men. My my only theory, at least I, I have a working one for the Fantastic Four, is really the only people that the, between the Fantastic Four and the X-Men ha- kind of had like actual beef, and it's still ongoing, is between Sue and Reed versus Charles and Eric, basically, with a little bit of Franklin and Kate thrown in. But for the most part, for everything that I remember, at least from Empire to King and Black, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Ben and Johnny don't really have a problem with the X-Men, and it, at least what we saw in the Hellfire Gala, Ben was very happy to gamble and be there. So uh, it's gambling time, as he would say. (laughs) So it doesn't, there's nothing at least odd about very specifically Ben having a problem. There's nothing, not having a problem with the X-Men. But at least Captain America and the Avengers, I think they recognize the need for heroes. And I think they're able to push away professional issues away from personal issues. They might have had personal qualms or intrigue about what was going on. Going on during the Hellfire Gala and what they did to Mars, but overall, I think they can understand that having more heroes is, isn't a bad thing, and that yeah, they can put away that their their personal petty beef uh, so that they could work. So initially, I did find it a little jarring the response from the Fantastic Four from the Avengers, just because there has felt like Kyle mentioned like a lot of tension lately. But I also think that this, you know, once I took a moment to really think about it, this was kind of recognition of what Jonah was talking about how uh, with all these events that have been happening lately, the X-Men have been playing a part, or at least mutants have been playing a part, right? Because there haven't really technically been X-Men in a while. And so the Hellfire Gala was kind of the, the, the hey, we're forming the team again, and we're going to have the presence here on Earth, just like we always have, because we are heroes, and this is our home. And so I felt like this was an acknowledgement of that, of that, okay, the X-Men are on site, the X-Men are a team of heroes, they know what they're doing, we can trust them. And so to me, that ended up feeling really good. It was like, okay, we, we're really establishing the status quo of this team, of this book. The the conflicts, the issues are going to be, you know, outside of the, the superhero community. It's not it's not issues with other heroes now. It's with these new villains that were, or new villain that we've established. So maybe some old villains and possibly some intrigue from humanity with what's going on with the mutants. So overall, really, you know, I really feel like this scene like as minor as it is without even seeing the characters just getting their you know their little lines there i felt like that that really gave us what we needed to know about how the x-men are viewed by the superhero community nico you were talking about how it felt nice to have the x-men back in the city and near the beginning of of the issue when scott and gene are first discussing ben urich's questioning scott asked her if she was second guessing New York City. And then she said that the X-Men have never fought the zoning board of Manhattan before. But I specifically remember Kate having issues when she and Magic decided to plop the mansion into the middle of Central Park in uh, gold. I'm with you on that. I really, really respect that vibe. If I'm sitting over here saying the U-Men are familiar, you're sitting over there saying the friendly neighborhood comptroller is familiar. Is that what comptrollers do? I don't know. What I mean, do. I mean, sh- mm, I don't know, but <laughs> I guess Jean wasn't alive, so she probably wouldn't have known that. Good oh, answer. But, 
But Young Jean was, but she was in blue at that time, so... This is just the first of what I can only hope is going to be at least 25 issues of X-Men along the same way that, you know, we were hoping that Hickman's X-Men would reach, like, a good strong number, and maybe we would see some of the Nimrod stuff come together, but, you know, that leads me to believe that Hickman's going to play out his plan somewhere else. Here instead, I am looking at this X-Men team, and they are so plenty potentiary. And I find myself wondering what's kind of the least things I can imagine for them, because the most things I can imagine from this issue alone, I never saw a mecha suit coming. I didn't see a reinvention of the idea of humans transforming to be better than better than mutants in some way. I didn't see my joy at returning to people and New York. So I feel like, you know, the things I want for this book are kind of plebeian compared to what Jerry Dugan is putting out there. I feel like if there's something I am really looking for, it's an opportunity to see the X-Men kind of surrender the notion of age rank. I would really love to see Laura and Sink able to thrive with these old timers the way that they really can. Not to mention, it'll be really cool to see Polaris come due on the great potential that her character has always had. Even if they seem a little limited compared to the scope of the book, like Mindfeel, do you guys have any hopes for this title in the long run? Mm. I agree with wanting to see Sink and Laura thrive. I kind of want to see Sink and Laura kind of work towards rebuilding what they had while they were inside the vault, hopefully. Um, I know she doesn't remember any of it, but he does, and I kind of like those stories a little bit. I don't know. I am hoping for more mecha, bigger stakes, bigger prizes, and no whammies. Realistically, what I would like to see is a lot more of the interplay within the team. As I said, there's a lot of characters that haven't been on a team together before, haven't been on a team together in a while, and I want to know what those dynamics look like. How does Rogue react to Sunfire? How does Sunfire react to Wolverine? I know a lot of it is kind of hinging on Sunfire. Go with me here. (laughs) I'm on this flaming journey with you that's what i want to see uh, also a lot more it has to happen lorna has to walk into everything with a cup of coffee she's like contractually <laughs> obligated at this point and yes. if she doesn't i will have words with her <laughs> same i want more of that from lorna for sure but i also want slice of life moments you know they have this new treehouse base they all have rooms there you know i expect to see more of their dynamics with each other as as people as individuals you know and i want to see how that really plays into the fact that you know there's a summer's home on the moon and there are gates to krakoa but they are going to be in new york at this base essentially and so i'm hoping that we see a lot more of of how they interact with each other who's taking a break and going away and who's staying behind and who's visiting like i want to see you know those those more quiet moments definitely interspersed with the action for sure and also i really want more of sassy lorna like (laughs) you know i feel like i've seen some people complain that like oh this is not lorna at all but i like i feel like if you know lorna like the all of the little comments that she's making like she's not serious she's joking like she's when she's talking about sidekicks like come on it's like she could just levitate everything with metal she doesn't need a sidekick but it's fun to joke about And so, yeah, I hope we get a lot more of of that sass coming through for her. And you know what? I agree. This is like, as a guy who 
does enjoy reading as much Lorna as I can possibly get my hands on. This is Lorna. This is very her sort of playful flip fun. Like, I think in a lot of ways, despite all of the tragedy that has befallen her, Lorna is still a romantic at heart. And she still has that very playful, lighthearted sense about her. And she doesn't mean any of these things heavy. She's just unbearably broken by life. And, you know, so they come out a little funny. But I also feel that in that way, it's almost like Dugan said... I want to make X-Factor fans happy. And this has a lot of that, uh, very different, but a lot of that same idea of intimate moment Congress, where these characters are having this very private aside. And I feel like Lorna is one of the best characters to showcase that. From the other X-Men issue number one, Hickman's run, like, because we had a moment between Cyclops and Lorna there, and we had a, a less assured Lorna in that issue. And, and seeing her from there to here with the, you know, like where her arc went in kind of rebuilding her her own confidence in X-Factor into being on the, this new X-Men team, I think is really kind of an amazing overall arc that, I mean, <laughs> over a couple of years now. And I'm so I'm, I am I'm really excited to see where she goes from here. I agree. Hey, everyone, it's Nathan. And in this next segment, Raven, Drew and I get into some really lively discussions about Beat Ayala's Children of the Atom number five. There's one thing I think we can all decide on. Buddy is on the path. To being a supervillain. There's a lot to love in this segment and in the series, and we hope you really enjoy our lively back and forth on this magical series. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants and magic and marvels. Oh, my. I'm Nathan. You can find me online on Dazzler AOA at Twitter and Instagram. That's Twitter and Instagram is Dazzler AOA. Hey, guys. I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drewsifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. Hello, I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, you know, kind of all over the webs, at uh, Dame Red Bento, D-A-M-E-R-E-B-B-E-N-T-O. Don't worry, I don't have the strangle nailed down, as we <laughs> clearly saw right there. So, Wait, so oh my. <laughs> so today, we are talking about Children of the Atom 5. So, Children of the Atom 5 is... Obviously written by the very talented Vida Ayala. Mm-hmm. Paco Medina is our artist. Our color artist is David Curiel. VCs Travis Lanham is our letterer. And we've still got Tom Muller on the overall design. He helped put those data pages together, get all the fonts, mm-hmm. all of that fun stuff. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about how this series has sort of lost some of its momentum in the Twitter sphere and in social media. But how, I, I don't know about you guys, but I actually actually think it's gelling it's it's coming together it's telling a clear story you like it or not but it, it it's actually telling a story that has a point where are you guys with this fantastic story or you know maybe not so fantastic to you let me know well i, I just i've been catching up on the story just kind of you know going back through the issues and like kind of giving it a good reread and oh my god it it feels so much more coherent 
and so much better when I'm able to string multiple episodes together in a shorter span of time versus having to wait. Because when I when I was waiting, it was like losing momentum and disconnect because you you'd forget like just little things that were said in the last issue and you're reading the current issue and you're going, uh, why is this? Uh, I, mm. And so, yeah, no, I loved, I loved being able to kind of go back, reread, and put it all together, flowed more coherently. And I find it a rather interesting take on this particular story. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually growing on it. What about you, Mr. Drew? Where are you? I am not really a fan of this series. I'm at this point, I'm kind of just reading it because there's one more issue and I'm like, I might <laughs> as well just get the full story. You know what I mean? I might as well just finish the story if there's one issue left. For me, it's just, it kind of tells the same story every single issue, just under a different character. We're introduced to a new character. They get into, the group gets into a fight with this issue. It's the human, you know, uh, like others in the past and then they get saved and try to go through the, the portal in the end or something about them being mutants in the end that is unresolved mm-hmm. and that's just kind of been the plot for the last what it seems five issues so. okay so that's fair you're like it's in like a fucking infinite time loop and you're like i want it to get out of this time loop fair. Yeah. But, but i love that because it's it's showing things from a different perspective each time it's it's not asking you to okay here's your tea follow the team we're gonna do this you know this adventure and we're gonna hop from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing which there's nothing wrong with it that's the way we're used to a story progressing in this one the storyline very closely lies in each person's perspective of how the events went and each person's perspective is very different based on who they are as a person so you know the uh, the semi-privileged extremely bright young black man who's also an amazing basketball player he's uh smart and his parents you know or his mother trusts him he's lost his father he's helped raising his uh siblings and whatnot he has a very particular perspective on everything that's going on the adopted little brother has a particular perspective the older brother who's dealing with a lot of angst and um some identity issues about how he feels about everything um that's his perspective and now you have a mutant on the team so it's all about people's different perspectives and how the same story may look a little bit different through different people's eyes so you know i think that's part of what i've liked and what i've not liked about this story was seeing that seeing it through their different perspectives right so the first issue being a really buddy focused issue buddy didn't draw me in buddy wasn't somebody who i found compelling at all gabe i found a little bit more compelling but i don't think i started to see a character who i really liked and connected with until the carmen issue but that issue was such a jumble trying to tell their origin that it didn't really connect i think when you got past Carmen, who really loved that character, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and to Benny and JJ's stories, I think those started to connect more with me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I still think Buddy is a secret supervillain in training, and like, I'm gonna stick <laughs> with that for forever. But, mm-hmm. you know, when it started to get to Carmen and Benny and JJ's stories, that's when I started to feel more of a connection with characters in the book. And I that's that is what drew me in. Whereas Drew, you're saying it was just kind of like too, too much of the same too much of the same over and over 
Yeah, and I would have rather them told like uh, like a different kind of story, a different story, continuing the story. Like I do like the how it, how it is different views because we don't we like these are all brand new characters, mm-hmm. and I I do like some of the characters. Like I like I like Carmen the best. Yes, but it also yes. <laughs> good taste, good taste, right? Like, buddy, I think like, we all agree on that. Yes, and I think Buddy like I I hate Buddy. Yes, like Buddy's I awful. Hate. Sorry. <laughs> like it, to the that like to the to the amount where I don't like that's one of the reasons why I do not like this issue because I think that character is like kind of disgusting. Really? Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way about Buddy too, though. It's just here. Okay, we're gonna get into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, because I, I, I want to hear this perspective because I don't necessarily hate Buddy. I think she's just or they're just super oblivious, and it's okay. like. One, For the love one, of God! Sorry, one thing is that <laughs> is it mentioned anywhere what they what they identify as buddy? Uh, like, are is it she or are they they? I think I think she's totally ref- sure. so. I'm, I'm looking at just this page right here, and I know Vita, being non-binary themselves, would mm-hmm. include proper pronouns. So if you're looking mm-hmm. at this page right here, which it talks about their gear, Buddy is referred to as a her. So I, I mm-hmm. do assume that Buddy is, you know, I know there's been a lot of yeah I theorizing she... on non-binary, mm-hmm. but she's uh-huh. at least she, not she out. Co- like the way she, I'm using she because you just said she. The way she uh, seems to be coded just there's certain things and it's not just like the mode of dress or anything the way she phrases certain things mm, there's something about it like she seems really coded non-binary whereas carmen seems to be coded bisexual oh carmen is just straight up lesbian though so like well yeah but like i said she seems to be almost coded bisexual but yeah i'm like but but she's lesbian. there's a lot of weird flex where i'm still trying to figure out if I'm seeing the coding because I'm queer myself or if I'm seeing the coding because it's actually there. And there could be some that we put some hypothetical coding mm-hmm. on the kids themselves because the, the writer is a non-binary, no, I can't say that word right, a non-binary, non-binary writer themselves. So mm-hmm. that might be our projecting what we think that they would want to include. So, mm-hmm. so that could be part of it as well. That could be. My issue though is that if we look at this series through the lens of the mutant metaphor Mm -hmm. then what buddy is doing she's like gawking like it's basically like it's she's like the human you know and which we get in this issue and it's to me it like like i agree with you nathan like she is kind of villain you know like leaning and i could see her potentially becoming a villain and like like maybe joining the human or something you know i I think a lot of this is gonna depend on to jump to to jump to the big reveal that kind of got spoiled in x factor right so (laughs) (laughs) carmen is a mutant carmen's a mutant so we we got hints of that starting in issue three carmen was trying to tell benny in issue four that something's going on i don't know if she really knew that she was a mutant but she knew something we we saw in 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 what was it it was the end of three or four we saw her going into yeah the more of a, the mutant form. 
So like we knew we knew before, but like, yeah, it was just a, if you didn't read, it was a kind of a, it was a big reveal. Yeah. But, and they, so they were, they, they revealed in X-Factor that Carmen, that she went to, that she was at the gala. So she was Mm -hmm. fully on Krakoa as we see at the end of this issue that she gets the invite to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads to some of the issues with the book as well. Just the, the weird timing and finding Mm -hmm. where this really fit in, in continuity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carmen's a mutant. So I wonder how how the other kids are going to react. And I think that we're going to see in Buddy's reaction, mm-hmm. I see Buddy will either do two, will sort of do both things. So Buddy will sort of shun her because she's jealous that Carmen is a mutant and that Buddy's not. And I think that the seeing all of the extra attention that Carmen will get and that Carmen actually gets to go be part of Krakoa, which is something that she has just idolized to this match. She's going to at one point pull her closer but then at one point she's going to start living in these negative emotions like, you know, jealousy and greed. And, you know, that could be her villain origin story right there. See, but. I see it more as the fetishite. Like, I don't see her as, I don't see her on that dark villain path just yet. But she does fetishize mutants. And that's, that's where I don't like her. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's I don't me. hate her, but I don't like her. That Yeah, that, but yeah, to me is like, I hate her because of that. I just like really mm. do not like the fetishizing of it. And it like it like really grosses me out. Mm. No, um, no, I, I I can absolutely understand not liking her or even hating her for that particular thing. Because I do find that really off-putting about her character. She is so focused on how cool the mutants are that she's not listening to a lot of the feedback she's getting about mutants or from mutants even. Like, <laughs> she's more worried <laughs> about getting her yayas than actually listening. Which, gee, I, I, I wonder where else we tend to get this happening. Cough, cough, race, cough, cough, LGBTQ communities, cough. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, no, I I do understand that. So this we're just jumping right into this. So this is going <laughs> to bring me to the the most important part of this this issue, this episode, and I'm and I'm very torn on it. And I really want to hear what both of you guys have to think on this. Do you think the mutants let the kids off too easily for their appropriation of their culture? Yes, I'm going to say no. I um, go ahead. I want I want to I want you to go first because I actually want to know your thought process because so for me it's more of like a a, like an editorial kind of why i didn't like it not Mm -hmm. like a plot wise so you are developing scarlet witch as being this pretender you know Mm -hmm. she's like she pretended to be a mutant she wasn't we got the same like we got a throwaway line about franklin richards too in sword at the gala Mm -hmm. you know how he was a pretender right and that's also basically what these kids are doing it's like they are pretenders and what we've been told so far is that like krakoa does doesn't fuck with pretenders like they're just you know so i don't like i think that the like the x-men need to like put their fists down about this and say like you're not a representation of us like you're either like there's potential that you will tarnish our name blah 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 stop like no well so like well, i mean they did yeah. <laughs> yeah they did what bothers me is in earlier issues they had approached depowered mutants and told them that they weren't living up to the 
standard they should be is depowered mutants. They were they were mm-hmm. basically like shame on you. You're giving mutants a bad name. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where they really cross the line between kids just exploring and expressing identities to this this horrible, gross, creepy behavior. They mm-hmm. they knew they weren't mutants. Like it's one thing to idolize mutant culture. It's one thing to really wish you were a mutant, but to sit there and tell mutants who have lost their abilities that they aren't living up to the standard that you think they should be as depowered mutants, having absolutely no idea what they went through in any of that. I think that's where they really crossed the line. But I'm really torn on this because also at the same time, I know that as, as kids, I'm a little bit older, like we were allowed to, we had the ability more to play with other people's cultures. It, it, was it appropriate at the time? No, but we were allowed that space that we were allowed to, you know, find out, you know, what we liked about this culture or that culture. And we were allowed to find out what we liked about ourselves, just like Vita, they say through their mouthpieces of Storm and Cyclops that the mm-hmm. kids were doing themselves. So, mm-hmm. well, and, and to me, when it comes to pretenders like uh, Wanda Maximoff and uh, Franklin Richard, the major difference there is the level of power and privilege that those two had. They literally train wrecked reality. And these kids are using technologies to, to do the same thing on some level. And it's not that they're like, hey, we're mutants. It was people assume that they were mutants <laughs> and they did not correct them, which it's still a lie by, by omission. But like <laughs> you could tell that every time somebody called them mutants or said, oh, yeah, you're one of us because you're a mutant. They're like, uh, uh, like you could tell that they were having an internal struggle of how to correct people who were praising them, people that they looked up to quite often yeah. were praising them and, and, and wanting to be inclusive of them. And they're just like, Oh my God, I'm meeting my heroes. Oh my God, my hero. Oh God. Oh God. How do I correct my hero and tell them, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just some jackass kid with some technology. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's a lot to look at in that, but yeah, no, I, I oh god I so get what you're saying but I also think that in this issue they made it very clear to him hey yeah. I get what you guys were trying to do but you're not a mutant we can't protect you you're wearing technology that means we can't track you so we can't help you so yeah like no not cool not cool and you're breaking human law because we now very well know that you are human so if the authorities come to us and go, hey, you've got these little mutants running around. You need to, like, freaking deal with them. They go, <laughs> uh, no, they're not mutants. They're they're human. So they're under your law, which means Cradle or uh, will show up or Kamala's law will kick over. So, yeah. yeah, like, literally now only one of them has any sort of protection via Krakoa, and that's that's Carmen. So you 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 brought up another point that I'm, I'm thinking of now. So to me, the difference in another point that I was thinking of is the difference between Wanda and Franklin and these kids is Wanda and Franklin honestly legitimately they didn't intend to actually pretend they thought they were mutants they were told they were mutants they registered as mutants on all of the devices so like they had no reason not to believe they were mutants and these exactly. kids so like they didn't they didn't lie they told their truth at the time and they're, they're treated as you know these traitors and pariahs when they didn't intentionally do anything 
we can go into what the Scarlet Witch did yeah. <laughs> as a separate, as a yeah, separate yeah. conversation. That is that is a whole other podcast, and we need twenty four hours for it. Yeah, <laughs> the actual presenting as a mutant, they they thought they were mutant. Mm-hmm. These kids didn't. So, like, as far as pretenders, these kids to me are worse in that respect because they actually they pretended and they went out of their way to try to find ways to even add to the pretense of it to try to get mutant DNA from a sweater to try to go through the Krakoan portals. Mm -hmm. So like, I I just think it adds a level of intent to it. Well, in that regard, I look at who made that suggestion and the people who made that suggestion. Those are the people that I am least happy with because it's like, yeah, no, again, you're fetishizing <laughs> mutants. It's again, it's Buddy. <laughs> it, exactly. And yeah, it's like, it's like, I dislike Buddy because she reminds me of very tone deaf 6F people. <laughs> Who are like, oh no, I'm absolutely an ally. I'm so great. I am the best ally ever. I totally love, insert minority group here. And it's like, oof, bitch, will you just not? (laughs) (gasps) You know who she is? She's Hmm. the straight girl who is saying no kink at pride. (gasps) That's who she is. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. No on the head. Nail on the freaking head. She is so oh oh god. I think I've I you know what? I think I've come over to your side. <laughs> I yes. think I might be on the hate train. Oof. Oof. But then again, I think that's part of the point of this book is you're not just getting the, oh, we're all going to be cool mutants or we're all going to be complete a-holes like Buddy. Like, but, but, here, but here's the, oh but like, if that's God. the point Ooh. of like, you're making an unlikable character, mm-hmm. like one of the main characters, let's say this was going to be an ongoing, mm-hmm. like they would be a team and she is the leader of the team and you're making your leader of your team an unlikable character? No, I think she's the figurehead. I think Cherub is the leader because he's the brains. Oh, see, and I thought Carmen was the leader because she was the one who did all the shit and got shit done. Well, so. I think Carmen is. I think Carmen is the <laughs> linchpin. I think you have to have Carmen in order to make that team work. Okay. Like but to have okay. that team function and and get shit done. Like that, all of their costumes made by her. Everything was done by her. And it's and it's funny because I was just thinking when she inevitably goes to Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're all going to be fucked because yeah. she's going to fix all their gear and who's yes. gonna, like they're not really mm-hmm. going to be a group anymore, are they? Or like what's going to happen with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, just like the future of even like their friendship and and this thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like it just makes me say, think like what is the point of this book? Like where are we going to get those questions answered in like New Mutants or mm-hmm. So, you know, I was I was thinking that would be the perfect place for Carmen to jump over, right? Because Vita mm-hmm. they're already writing them in Children of the Atom, so they sort of have, they sort of set them up to be the principal of all the ex-kids, I think they mentioned to them as one time. So, you know, it would be really amazing to see them get to continue that story, although mm-hmm. I'd also love for another writer to be able to take that character on. Uh, Vita obviously has a lot of love and respect for the Karen, for the Karen? The character. <laughs> <laughs> the Karen is Buddy. The wow. character of Carmen. Wow. The character of Carmen. The Karen is definitely Buddy. But the, Oh, yeah. 
yeah. Oh, but, um, oh yeah. <laughs> so I would love to see Vita be able to, you know, take that character and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. So that that is, you know, so we're getting this is I think the penultimate issue of the Children of the Atom, right? Because there's nothing there's oh, nothing yeah. solicited after issue six. I know originally mm-hmm. there was is this gonna be a mini series or is this gonna be continued? And I think they were hoping if the sales continued, they could continue the story. Mm-hmm. Do you think that having a, a shorter run do you think that affected the story do you think that carmen was revealed as a mutant earlier because of that yes absolutely i think uh i think absolutely the the short stature of the run uh meant that things might have had to have been um fast tracked uh but even for a fast track i think they did decent um you know i'm literally not throwing shade but like there was a book just recently that <laughs> found out that it wasn't getting uh, a full 12. It was getting, you know, cut by like three books. So they had to put three books in one. And that format did not go well as far as pacing and storyline uh, went. But this, I think they knew that they had a slightly shorter run. So they were able to pace it a little bit better. And honestly, I love, uh, it's one of these towards the ending shots where you see Buddy and oh god i keep forgetting the black guy's name because i keep wanting to call him cherub gabe gabe thank you gabe as in gabriel (laughs) (laughs) buddy gabe jj you know you see everybody who's human very much to one side and carmen very much isolated to the other side so i think they did really good in setting up this distance and this tension so if that suddenly needs to go to another book and then get referenced back to children of the atom if you read children of the atom you know where possible impending villainy is coming from or where tension is coming from between these characters i mean i think they set it up well to be handed off if need be wow Uh, why am i trying to find the good in everything what's going on here we're usually the hard ass you are god no i'm just kidding you know so i I would like to ask then, so did we connect with any of the kids? So I I personally, I, I really, I always loved Carmen. Like, I, I loved Carmen before we actually knew anything about Carmen. I loved her design. I loved everything about what we saw of her. Getting to know her as a character really has me going like, yes. And I'm like, yeah, she's the mutant. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, especially with this issue and the focus on him and it being from his viewpoint, I really, really fucking love JJ. Like, mm-hmm. he is such a adorable horrible good little kid and i love mm-hmm. i love how he wants to be called nighty night crawler and everybody wants to call him <laughs> day crawler i love it i love it so much so uh, what about you guys i'll start with drew drew did you did any of these characters actually touch you at all or are you just kind of like oh i'm glad it's gonna be over um carmen you know she like i, don't, I wouldn't mind seeing her like you know she can she can she can stay um, <laughs> yes <laughs> and okay, okay, okay. um i liked i liked his ish, like his issue i liked a lot too but the others I, well i guess marvel marvel guy he's uh he's he would be the next issue right so i think so. no, no, benny, no benny was his, uh his was last four. Issue. yeah his yeah, was last, his last was issue. Four. oh so oh so the next issue is just a general it's about nobody I, i'm yeah. thinking it's going to be either about all of them yeah that's and the I mean. tension yeah. that's been created mm-hmm. or you know the sudden loss of carmen possibly yeah Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, Carmen, Carmen, I think connected with all of us because of yeah. all of them. Buddy was dislikable because of how very like ugh, what 
it's a different word than fetish, but like the way she just obsessed over how cool mutants were and made them into this this thing to be, this trend, instead of looking at mutants as actual people who have complicated lives. Yeah. Um, Gabe is a good kid and he's he's doing his best, but he's got a couple of stumbling blocks in front of him. And for the most part, he didn't really step forward in my brain a lot. He really didn't get as much of a chance to shine. I mean, yeah. to me, to me his, his issue was Peter was still finding their footing in the earlier mm -hmm. issues and they had to rework a lot. So I, I'm going to give them the credit that they're due because Absolutely. this book was like moved back like a year and a half or something. Yeah. So yeah. like they had to fit it into the current event. So I'm, I want to give Vita credit for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Benny and JJ... It was nice. Their stories are very much tied together. I think that you can find a lot of good interpersonal um, storytelling with them. But yeah, Carmen, to me, oh my god, I practically bawled throughout reading her her comic book issue because I connected with so much about her. You know, I'm an adopted kid. I'm of mixed race. You know, like I have always been trying to be enough, be queer enough, be good enough, be smart enough, be you know, doing enough to uh, earn my spot somewhere, even when everybody's, oh, no, no, you're one of us. It's like, yeah, but I got to earn this one. And they're like, no, no, you don't. So yeah, I, I identify as Carmen in a lot of ways. So yes, like watching, like reading her issues, I'm like, oh, oh God, oh God, oh God, it's too real. <laughs> it's very, very real. <laughs> so, yeah, no, she, she was the one that I, I connected with the most, especially when she learned she was a mutant. And now she has to like, she has to learn that like, like, can I balance that between my friends? Am I just going to create more jealousy? Like, you know, <gasps> yeah, just yeah she's she's at the focal point now and and she doesn't know if she actually wants to be there which is like so crazy interesting thought so mm -hmm. the mutant is the queer metaphor right mm -hmm. so do you think storm was in her place to out carmen in front of her friends like she did no no i really don't that's not a storm thing to do mm -mm. right <laughs> i i think storm was there to let her know she wasn't alone that that she was seen and that if she if she wanted to come to the community that was perfectly okay she had the invitation they were there they're accepting and they're welcoming of her but i think she was also there to put on notice her friends who clearly especially buddy fetishized what a mutant is and what a mutant was I think this was more a wake-up call for the friends to go, hey, she's a mutant, and she's your friend. She is a person. This is what a mutant looks like. Not just this fairy tale fantasy that you've built up in your head about how glamorous and fabulous it is. I would like to say, one of the things that I really liked about what Vita did with this book is I like the way that they played with not only like sexual orientations, but like families and like what mm -hmm. family like and what family family means. So we've got we've got so many different types of people here. We've got an adopted, we've got adopted brothers, mm -hmm. one of whom is ace. So we've got a lesbian, we've got Gabe, and we've got a super villain in training so like <laughs> so like cover the gamut we do yeah, like right? there are so many identities here like i love it so like you know it, it, it's nice to see books about kids being able to tell these types of stories 
mm-hmm. Young Avengers obviously kind of broke that mold a little and let Marvel feel maybe comfortable in telling stories of kids from different different backgrounds, different identities. So we didn't end up mm-hmm. with like the fucking X-Men where like they're all like five mm-hmm. white kids. So like, <laughs> you know, like I'm exotic. I'm from somewhere else that is also exceedingly white. <laughs> I'm exotic. I have wings. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and money. <laughs> sweet. Oh, sweet God. Like I'm just gonna bankroll all your shit. We know why I'm here. Other than I'm a fucking park pigeon. <laughs> like or or you have like, I'm exotic, I'm a future asshole, and I have big feet. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm sorry, Beast really is that much of an asshole. He is. And then and then you've got like, I'm a girl and I have red hair. <laughs> so like that was that was what that's what they thought, you know, unusual. My name kids is Marvel like Girl. Bitch, you are 35. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> know what? The girl part of it. Hey, let her. Let her feel her oats, okay? That woman has been dead that's so many not times. Feeling your oats, that's infantilizing yourself. You no. Know, <laughs> That poor woman had to die like 20 or 30 times, okay? So, yeah, like, and yet she didn't learn to stay dead. <laughs> oh, oh, I said it. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been another episode. Of- <laughs> um, Look, the Summers family is only the second most invasive story family line or family storyline that pervades throughout the universe. Skywalker. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, <laughs> just whatever we do. I'm not getting into a green dress conversation on this show. Oh God, <laughs> I've had too many of those conversations. Yeah, <gasps> I I don't care what side anybody is on it. I'm tired of hearing about it. That's just it. like all my Twitter is is green. <laughs> Like, I don't care. Just get something that looks fashionable because Jesus. <laughs> and we have that. Right? It is a classic chic little 60s mini dress. Okay. But anyway. Um, uh, um. Girl. Anyway. <laughs> you know, she only went to community college for fashion school. So like she didn't even complete it. So like let's 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 see where her education was, okay? <laughs> All right. Out <laughs> um, of her first day of night school. <laughs> yeah, because she actually went to night school like Betsy Braddock was supposed to, and <laughs> Betsy Braddock went to night school, but you know, whatever. Lightning shit. But, uh... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, too many anyway, right there. <laughs> Here's I had an issue. So there's if you look at the page when the team comes in, like mm-hmm. it's just like. This team one is so random. Like, oh, the X Men team, yeah. And and it's just like, okay, so we have Nightcrawler and Pixie, and then Pixie Magma is Magna, like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, like you know what I mean. Like some of them, yeah. like Magma is never seen. Um, well, that's all right. She isn't even really heard from in this issue at all either. So that's what I mean. And <laughs> like, so why did they put her? Like, it, like why is she there? Why is Pixie there? Why is like. <laughs> I get why, like, Nightcrawler and Jean and, like, because you want, like, you want to pair them with the person they are, you know, for mm-hmm. the visual, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. But, like, I just didn't understand why some of these characters were supposed Yeah, why was Logan there? Why wasn't Gambit there? Like, I would have yes. loved to see him. That's what I was like. Every, Wolverine's <laughs> everywhere. Come on. You know he runs across the globe. <laughs> and then one, uh, one thing I did like, though, is the lettering. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Uh, like on that one page, so when when they're he's like, "Oh, who should I go?" And they says the X Men, and then they do that cool Tom Muller, you know, in the <laughs> in the <tech>. symbol. Yeah, 
<laughs> I died laughing. It was just too cute. Yeah, I liked it. There are some questionable moments in this miniseries, and there's some really, really cute moments. I, I would just say, like, I, I am excited to see how Vita is going to wrap this up. I, mm-hmm. I am hoping for some sort of, like, buddy, fuck you, and then buddy becomes a supervillain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's just, like, I just don't want to be wrong. But <laughs> also... Like, I think Buddy needs some of that, or else Buddy is really going to be on the track to become something evil. Oh, yeah. So, somebody's got to somebody's gonna kind of take the, smack the taste out of her mouth, as yeah. it were, and like go, dude, not cool. Or she's just literally going to keep doing what she does. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that actually makes sense. So you know how certain people think they are right because they have never been corrected? Oh, my God, don't look at me when you say that. I'm just <laughs> I'm not. I'm literally not. I, I'm. I'm. You know the kind of person I am talking about. Yeah, I know <laughs> that kind of person who is just—they've never been corrected, and they think they're right because they've never been corrected. And so when they finally do get corrected to their freaking face, they do not take it well, and they're like, "Well, if you're not going to be nice to me, I can't be your ally anymore." I think that's what we're about to to watch go down. <gasps> Buddy is a future future Orcus member. Hey everybody, Nico here, and in this next segment, Nathan, Drew, and Raven take a look back at the gala, and the very critical eye talk about the many, many successes, but also some of the notable shortcomings of an event that had never been done before in its infancy. It's an incredible look at an incredible event, and we hope you guys enjoy. The Hellfire Gala is over, but we can't stop talking about it. I'm Nathan, and you can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drewcifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. And I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Come over and find me across the webs. Woohoo! So, <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys. Are, are you glad that the gala is over? Or are you, like, still wishing it was still going on? Because me personally, I feel like we lived in the gala, like, way too much. And I am, like, fucking over it. But I, there's still some things looking back that I, I really enjoyed about it. So, so where are you guys with that whole event? I loved the fanfare. And I loved loved like i loved it a lot on a lot of level just for like the fanfare and the beautiful outfits and the everything going on it was also interesting to see some of the behind the scenes kind of stuff of how certain groups do interact but how they do very much run very separate little in groups so you're like oh oh yeah beast is yeah no beast is beast is evil um got it but apparently you know like you're the rest of your security team doesn't seem to necessarily notice <laughs> that or you know people who are taking care of one thing aren't necessarily in the business of people taking care of a different aspect so it was it was interesting to see how that all kind of played together wait 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 if people were really interested and like worried about every time beast was evil like you would never <laughs> fucking think of anything else on Krakoa so like you know I- you just put him in the <laughs> hole and leave his ass there okay just nope he's no he's too dangerous go we're yeah nope he's down there yeah that's good 
<laughs> and, and Drew, what was your overall take about the gala? Yeah, I liked the gala a lot. I mean, like we, like you said, it is, it was, it's been going on since January, for like yeah. essentially <laughs> with like the team announcements and then all the hoopla and stuff. But I also agree with Raven. Like, I really did like the hoopla around it and kind of the fanfare the too. It was fun to like it. It was fun to to like read it and like you know go along with it as you know as opposed to just like reading this issue. Like in the future, it might not be as fun because you know we didn't get all this like interaction and stuff mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know like if they did it if they do another one in the future i don't know how they're going to type those fucking how they're going to type how they're going <laughs> top 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 so cute top those fireworks like who's going to top those fireworks would they rather bother them for them but anyway that's not they the created an entire fucking planet <laughs> don't bury the lead <laughs> how do you do more than i don't know terraforming an entire planet in a day while people watch like two you terraform two planets in a day <laughs> that's how you do that here today we're gonna make a sun well shit <laughs> you know there is still saturn and jupiter out there <laughs> and plenty of moons around each one of them there are now yeah. thinking of some um, space odyssey 2010 all these mm-hmm. planets all these planets are yours except europa do not attempt landing there <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm not a nerd no not at all um, but so this was an event of a lot of different events right so we had some mm-hmm. key moments we had some really fun events we had some not fun events too that happened but we which, had fashion... wait which ones were not the fun events uh... <laughs> 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 sorry i just really wanted to hear that noise <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> we had fashion galore. So, what was your favorite Hellfire Gala look? You know, I got to know this. Good lord. So, there were so many hits and so many misses. For me, I think it was Storm and Jean. They won. Oh, those were magnificent. Storm's cape was like, that was revolutionary. Like, that, mm. like, it was like a, like, the level, game level has been upped. The you know, I hair. love how Storm's, like, Storm's gala outfit, just like mm-hmm. on all the future stuff that she's, like, in promos for. Like, she's wearing the gala outfit. So, like, Hell that's just yeah. her fucking new outfit now. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that now, yes, like that now that it's pretty much like her hair must be textured. Like, thank you. Straight hair bullshit. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's like, I am an African goddess. <laughs> and it's like, girl, your hair is always so straight. You don't have to straighten the whole thing. Gala, storm cloud hair. Ugh, if I don't see this every time, it's not Storm anymore. Thank you, Jesus. The only time I ever want to see her with straight hair again is if it's a mohawk, because that's, that's fucking right. iconic. But right. Like, yeah. Ugh. Um, Ugh. So, she looks so good. So Drew, yeah. Drew with Storm and Jean. What about you, Raven? For me, I loved Storm's outfit because I think that just straight up, it needs to be her outfit. She has done so much, especially in the last couple of years. Like, she deserves to have this badass outfit and to be recognized for who she is um but also mystique's outfit was so glorious that really was and you don't hear enough people talking about it but it is fucking magnificent it was it was absolutely beautiful and gorgeous and it just mm, it was so delicious to look at i was just gobsmacked when i saw it i was like yes please it was so good that was yeah just mm, absolutely loved it to bits and pieces cannot get enough of those two outfits so you y'all have mentioned some great ones and, and i agree with you on those i two that i 
really love, almost for the same reason, because they're very classic throwbacks to some of the outfits they've had. I am one of the ones who I fucking loved Rachel Summers. It's like mm. the, the extravaganza yes. of her hound look. Mm. Like for her mm. to reclaim that and make it fucking high fashion. Like oh those gosh. heels, like I know she's telekinetic, so she doesn't really need to walk. <laughs> but like those heels, oh my God. <laughs> and another kind of throwback to her 80s look as well. Mm-hmm. I, I really loved Captain Britannia's look. So like mm-hmm. it, it, it really served me like 80s Psylocke with that like fucking like kink thing and like those little the little wrist things that were coming off of her arm. It was giving me too much Spice Girls. Okay, but see that's why I love it. So like <laughs> <laughs> But it didn't it didn't scream gala to me. Okay. But so, it, like... it was like a like if she was gonna be at a gala she probably should have been like part of the entertainment up on a stage kind of thing but so like as a runway, you too much jerry hallowell and you wanted a little bit more victoria beckham okay I yeah i wanted a, i wanted a little bit more 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 style class but also how are we not talking about magic's look oh my god those floating horns that just the beautiful oh just everything looked so good on magic's outfit i was just like oh, thanks yeah i wasn't a fan of her outfit i just didn't i was under- like it's okay i don't i I didn't get like I like I get the horns, but I how are they mm-hmm. floating? Um, I'm sorry, ah. the queen of limbo, yeah, and we're she... asking how they're floating. <laughs> no, but it's like that you don't see the portals though, so she's not okay. using her powers. Or or a very simple fix to that is either um, acrylic doweling, which is pretty hard to see. So if you have just a lightweight structure, you could get something to float. Or very strong magnets, oddly enough, would work. There oh. are there are um, what do you call it? They're neodymium magnets. They're super, super strong. So if you get them at just the right point, they actually float. I've seen like really cool floating islands for like small plants and for um, for food and stuff. But yeah, I could see Jumbo Carnation knowing how to okay. rig some of these things to have both a real world uh, functional level as well as also relying slightly on uh, you know the person who's wearing the outfit to lend a little bit of their power to it but that's what Just but that's like, what i mean if you like incorporated her portal into the look i would have been like okay and that's what i mean like storm's powers are incorporated into mm. like her cape and jeans you know she's holding up her like but magic's powers aren't being incorporated like i want the incorporation not the no. see i see the horns as an incorporation of her magic because you rarely see magic with her horns out because of the very dark meaning that they tend to carry with them the only times we've really saw magic with her horns in full glory was when she was losing control and the demon part of her the really dark or evil part of her was really coming to the forefront so i see that as a reclaiming much like the hound i thought she didn't like to show her dark child form because she didn't want to get confused with the producer in the late 90s (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) but anyway that's enough old people jokes on that so So we, we oh, talked about our legend, fashion. I tell you, legend. Right? Okay, like there wasn't a song. You couldn't go a, you couldn't go on the radio for like 20 minutes without hearing like somebody go like dark child in the house. Like, <laughs> but like, you know, anyway. But, so we talked about our fashions do's. Like, mm-hmm. what about what were the fashions don't like uh, what are you oh, wearing? Like Dazzler. Thank you. Karma. Oh. She was wearing a couch. 
Yeah, I did not like Karma's. She was wearing a fucking couch. Mm-hmm. I thought Karma's was I was I'm very middle ground on Karma's because I don't I don't like hate it. It's not like the worst of the worst, but fucking <laughs> Dazzler does not go to shop at the Party City clearance after no, she went to shop at the Spirit Halloween clearance oh. after sale to buy her fucking Dazzler costume. You know yeah, what, I you know so... what you know what Karma's was like. Sorry, this picture just it's mm. like, and I can't believe I can even reference this. The name and everything. Oh no! But it almost like looks like like that comely garçon like look, oh yes know, oh my god yes you're dead right i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and i oh think like god. lady gaga wore and it's just like oh. it's a shirt but it's just like two pieces of fabric like sewed together and it's, yeah like, yeah it's like fo- yeah with like yeah that foam board kind of thing going on in between so it has just that that paper doll kind of look oh i hate it i hate it so much I hate it so much. And I know exactly who you're talking about and exactly which line you were talking about. I'm like, Mm-mm, cannot stand. Cannot you know, stand. You know who I was really surprisingly really upset with? Hmm. Megan's. Because why did she look like she was dressed to go to like a fucking renaissance fair? She used to be the queen of fucking <gasps> other world. Like, but you don't know you she know knows. she's a she's a, a fairy princess now on Avalon? <coughs> Bitch, you clawed your way out of hell for that look. Okay. Yeah. I would have gone right back to hell. Like, mm-hmm. No, I don't need this. <laughs> Fuck that. Like, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I I I, I did not <laughs> did not like did not like. <laughs> so talking about our best and our worst. So mm. we talked about the fashion. What about the drama? So there was a lot of drama <laughs> that happened in this thing. What was your favorite moments of drama? Be it the fireworks as a whole, be it like uh, the, the unfortunate death, whatever. Tell me, let, let's dish. It, what is this unfortunate death you're talking about? <laughs> Depends on whether you like the character or not. Depends exactly. Fortunate I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so so your favorite moment was the death of scarlet witch okay cool no 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 no, no okay. my favorite moment was the murder of scarlet witch i'm like oh yeah and you know why it's my favorite moment because it so succinctly showed to me that you could cover up the murder or, or actually you could cover up the stalking sexual assault torture murder and keeping of corpses of dozens of young black queer men and that wouldn't get a blink and that wouldn't get resolution but oh my god one dead white woman on the ground and oh everybody is up in arms and we must have a trial about it you don't say Ugh, the avengers yeah <laughs> yeah so drew what was your favorite dramatic moment of the gala all the, i like all the drama and like like just like the soap opera-ness of it all right um i think my favorite part though was probably planet sized to be honest okay although yeah it like, was that, epic yeah epic. but storm being that like full page spread or whatever of storm oh. being announced as the the leader of soul or See, whatever i like that i like was... the sword better because of because of the way she came in and she was mm. like yeah no victor like, you, you know, know my name i am oh i am yes. storm region at mars and i am the voice of soul oh that that gave me life <sighs> like i think like, in that moment i could have died and like gone to the white room just in that right moment. i know storm needs to like always announce herself like daenerys every single time she enters <laughs> <over>. <laughs> And she just needs to like, like goddess of you know, oh my god, wind rider, blah blah blah, something witch, 
Nah, no. why she got to talk? She ain't got to talk. She she <laughs> announced herself one because Victor Von Doom is such a raging asshole that she had mm. to announce herself just to like that was her putting her boot up against his asshole and wearing him like a slipper and making sure to wiggle her toes on the way in. Like that she knew she was just going to needle him with that. I loved that cuz she's like, "King, <laughs> no, no. You know my it was one of those you know my name, bitch." <laughs> it's like i love that moment so much no but i kind of like what you're saying drew too like raven i get what you're saying but i kind of mm. like want i want her to like walk through portals and be like goddess i am here <laughs> bow down before me peons of earth i am regent of Moth soul like like how she is in the animated show yeah <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I shall meet you at the monorail. At least she sounded like she For was no from reason. Africa there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I understand what you mean. Rain, thunder. But, but you know that wouldn't be Storm. Storm talks and uses her words very concisely to convey very deep meaning. Yep. Announcing herself every single time would not be Storm. Fair, it wouldn't. But it would be great to see. Just... True. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm all for a little deviation of character if it's got that flair to it. So, right. uh, you know, I, I think I said mine, which would be sword. Like sword. That sword issue mm. overall, like, was rock on amazing. And I so don't think Eric killed Wanda because, like, that reunion was too, like, uh But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she wanted to be killed. But, you know, what does it even matter? She's going to be a mutant again anyway. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Like, get resurrected so do we have a least favorite moment of the hellfire gala with the drama raven you can go first uh unfortunately for me it's x factor 10 there um because it it really felt like the seriousness of um uh prodigy's story was kind of glossed over um and and most of the attention was being constantly shifted to oh the gala's going on oh the gala's going on oh we've got gala stuff over here and whatnot and i'm like you're you're not paying any sort of attention to the fact that one of your young queer black man was murdered and it's it wasn't a story about you know he wasn't murdered because he was a mutant he was murdered because he was young and queer and black and you know the fact that that the mutants didn't really seem to give a shit enough to do something about it and that he had to leave breadcrumbs for himself like the gala did not need to be involved with that particular storyline in fact i felt it kind of took away from where that storyline needed to be uh how that storyline needed to be dealt with so yeah that i think i think x factor 10 was like my least fave unfortunately fair very fair yeah i would have to agree um i i was not a fan of x factor anyway but it just like that just kind of like it didn't really I that like I agree pretty much with what Raven said it it just like kind of missed the mark it felt like it was just too rushed and it was just like a rushed ending for the book mm. yeah I agree and and we have to remember that was the very last issue of the gala too so mm. we ended the gala on that very sour note like mm-hmm. I I opposite of Drew I really liked X-Factor as a whole mm-hmm. but that being the last issue of the gala and of X-Factor 
it does sort of, it's sort of going to shape my opinion on how I perceive this book as I keep processing it and as I see mm-hmm. whatever it depends on really depends on if Leah is able to do anything with that story in the trial of Magneto mm-hmm. which I don't think they're going to be able to because it's really not the place for that story and yeah I just it wasn't the, that that type of issue where you have this big party going on mm-hmm. and you know you're trying to wrap up everything was not the was not the place to wrap that story up it would have been a great yeah. um heck you could have done a great like one shot sort of like one of those old x-men stories before now that we've got the team book back but it would have been a great like anthology type story to come back and pick up on where the focus could have been on david and what he was going through mm-hmm. not like oh cool you know our aurora and Duncan gonna fuck over david's body here you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah, yeah exactly really did leave a sour note for the the whole event and the book all mm-hmm. right so we talked about the fashion we talked about the drama so mm-hmm. are you are either of you guys looking forward to this event happening again ever we yes it's gonna be some I event mean... going on <laughs> right i want to redo i want to redo of that x-men team because they seem to make it seem like they're going to vote on the x-men team every year so i really would love to be a redo of the team yeah but like i i don't think every year mm. is yeah, no. like because if we do it next year like if we think what like x of sword happened last year and like yeah. that wasn't that far away so if we do it next year then it's you know what i mean it might feel too soon to make a whole new team so like maybe every like five years or a couple years you know? oh yeah like, like i'm not like i'm not i'm not i'm like so happy like if they want to do this every couple years like whenever they need it like an event or something i'm here for it mm. yeah like marvel time not like real universe time because every yeah. year would be kind of like oh yeah no 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 <laughs> you know i i would love to see this as a as a yearly event but like consolidated to like one maybe planet-sized book where you go oh yes and here's here's the hellfire gala you know year two and like you know more or less uneventful year three more or less and like maybe every three to four years really make it a big you know to do where you throw down you're like okay here's where this next arc is going or hey we're making announcements to you know hey we're finally branching out to another planet or to a different solar system or you know that kind of thing so yeah give it two three four years in between each major event but i would love to see like a planet size event each year that's like hellfire gala here's mm-hmm. some looks here's what goes on and just they don't always have to be super eventful here we're fighting whole quarter culture dr doom and this new planet <laughs> like oh. You know. oh my god oh my god you, they could make this the new swimsuit edition <gasps> yes oh my god yes I although, love it so much. although you are depriving me of seeing like a gambit in a speedo, and I'm not really sure. Are we though? About that. Are we? Are, are we, we though? Okay. Because okay. look at Colossus, look at look okay. Colossus outfit. Okay. Look at Colossus. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah. As long as I get some like shirtless honks still, I'm as fine. long as we oh, get yeah. the smut. As long as we get the smut. Hello, <laughs> how little was Dokken wearing? And like, ooh, I've got on pants and a coat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can get rid of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of those outfits, is there anything you guys? would like to have seen more of (laughs) (laughs) loaded question oh loaded question (sighs) ah 
Oh God, what would I like to have seen more of? Honestly, I I would have liked to have had a few more detailed interactions kind of up close and on the dance floor because I really wanted to like, yes, I know everybody looks great, but I know that a lot of um, a lot of talk goes on on a dance floor, especially for these big major events. I would have loved to seen like some interaction, maybe a red carpet with like actual press being able to like, oh, what did you do? Oh, well, this is Jumbo Carnation and da 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 da. And what are you wearing? Uh, Yves Saint Laurent or, you know, (laughs) like that kind of thing. Like I would love to see like a red carpet, red carpet so that you could get like a really good look at all of the different gorgeousness gorgeousness going on. Oh my God, new idea. You do it as a Mojo World special. Like you do it every year (gasps) as a Mojo World special. And like you've got like, because you know, like isn't oh Wallflower God, yes. like the she's an ambassador now, so she yeah, can, like, yeah. it up. So mm-hmm. like so yeah, so that would be fun, and you could have like some really good fashion do's, fashion don't. Oh you know, God. I would love to see somebody like um, you know what I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see more of Alex going around talking about Maddie Pryor just in all the. <laughs> Sir, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> because like that's like all I imagine him doing on the island now. He's just like right. going around and like, but but Maddie, like mm-hmm. I want her back. <laughs> oh my god, seriously. And I need to see. I need to see him talk to Jean Grey about it, and she just be like, "What? <laughs> Who? Huh?" <laughs> Some of the reveals were a little lackluster. Mm. Like Marauders was not really anything special to you know write mm-hmm. home about. Like we could no. have had like like that those Jonathan Hickman reveals, you know, where you're just like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know what I would like is if Marvel was going to do these reveals, if they wouldn't leak them like fucking like right. Oh my god! Like please leak them on Tuesday when their book comes out on Wednesday. Like what? (laughs) Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and man, I love this next segment. Whenever we get together to talk about Heroes Reborn. It is just such a blast, and you can hear how loud we get and how much fun we had because it was an incredibly fun title. We hope you guys think it's as much fun as we do, and don't forget, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe over on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon at X's for Podcast. I've been Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, and guys, until next time, we love making this show for you every single week, covering as many comics as we possibly can. Keep those Krakoan gateways open, keep those mutant lights lit, and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, and I'm Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram. That's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. I spelled it right. Go me. I think I did. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I'm Nathan, and you can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA, because, yeah... And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike many of the people in these books, I'm talking Aunt May, some random thugs in a museum, Arcana and Baron Zima, um, some random thugs that Nighthawk kill. Hold on. Baron Zima, like a delicious, fruity, alcoholic beverage? Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> But awful at the same time. <laughs> I also never realized how much Aunt May sounds like Ant-Man, and that's a team-up I'm all about now. I love this oh. drink. And um, unlike Ileana, because she died in Limbo, because and and Jean Grey, because Zarda was like, I'm a stabby-stab you. And yeah. her pieces to the cosmos. And mm-hmm. the best part is that Ileana died on a sword made of Colossus, 
which I unfortunately enjoy because there's something wrong with me. Dark child. Dark child. This is true. So we're here today to talk about some of the additional issues of the Heroes Reborn universe by Jason Aaron, as well as Heroes Reborn number six. We're going to be taking a look at Peter Parker, the, Ama- the Spectacular Shutterbug by Mark Bernadarin, with art by Raphael Delator, Ron Lynn, Scott Hanna, and Jim Campbell. We're going to be taking a look at Young Squadron by Jim Zub, Stephen Cummings, mm-hmm. and Eric Arseniega. We're going to take a look at Siege Society by Cord- Cody Ziegler, Paco Medina, and Pete Panatiz. We're going to be taking a look at... I'm so sorry for that pronunciation. We're going to be taking a look at American Knights by Paul Grist, Chris Allen, and Mark Deering. And finally, topping it all off with Heroes Reborn number 6 by Jason Aaron with art by Erica Durso, Keith, Jason Keithler, Ed McGinnis, Mark Morales, and Matthew Wilson. That's so many names. That's just so many names. But they all did incredible work and deserve to have that incredible work acknowledged. Now, what's interesting is they sort of actually came out week by week. Shutterbug with issue two, Young, uh, Young Squadron with issue three, Siege Society with issue four, American Knights with issue five, and finally taking a look at Heroes Reborn number six. So before we can get into all of that, we left things off in a pretty crazy place, kind of calling together the Avengers. Our last Avenger that was pulled in was Black Panther, and we had a lot of pretty big guesses. How did you guys feel on the whole about this batch of reading before we even get into the specifics? I will say the children in this universe are apparently a lot smarter than any other adult. Oh, yeah, for sure. absolutely. Like, I was... they... yes, at like eight years old, they all figured out something was wrong very fast in like the span of two days. I agree. But, like that fits with their characters anyway, right? Because that's kind of what they always do. They've even always like, been champions. Yeah. Even like, if you look at IBX, they were like, uh, why are you guys fighting? <laughs> like, come on, dude. Yeah, they were the voice of reason and logic. I mean, if you compare it to them, to, um, he's not Daredevil in this. What is he, Saint? The Saint. Saint. The Saint. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> and he's an adult. He doesn't understand. He's just like worshiping Mephisto, just like everybody else. And he's insane. But, like, you have these younger kids that are, like, supposed to be alternate dimensions of themselves as well. But they already get it. They're like, well, this isn't right. Like, Squadron Supreme are evil. They want to kill everybody. That shouldn't be a thing, right? Right? Now, we're going to be taking a look at a pretty wide berth of titles here, right? And I'm, for one, very excited about it. But I understand that not every title is for everyone. Now, before we get into Peter Parker, the most slice-of-life book about a predetermined outcome, Rod, I want to know, you, I believe, did not purchase this one. And what led to you being like, no, that one's like a spider bridge too far? I was like, I'm not really a big fan of Jimmy Olsen. And I know this is Heroes Reborn, at least this one, is a big take on how Marvel heroes can be seen as like DC heroes kind of, but like in an extreme way. So I was like, oh, I don't really like Jimmy Olsen as it is. And Peter Parker isn't my favorite, but with with him without his powers, I'm just like, I don't really care. So (laughs) I stopped. Now I, I do recommend everyone should still go read it just because I didn't like the writers and artists worked hard. People should read it. Um, I'm just horrible. And I did not. (laughs) I do want to defend that not every book is for everyone, and this is a long-standing statement about the comics industry, but letters pages long ago taught us that we are solely responsible for keeping the comic industry on, you know, on life support by ourselves 
for the rest of our lives, we're told that if we don't buy the whole line, we are some sort of sinners, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying Spider-Man is a character I know well enough to know that I'm not that interested in an alternate universe version of Spider-Man. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. And I think all you really missed that made me, made my heart pitter-patter is instead of referring to him as Hulk Hogan, he was Crusher Hogan because Hulk Hogan took his code name from the Hulk. And in this universe, the Hulk wasn't some super cool guy to emulate. So instead, the professional wrestler Hulk Hogan was Crusher Hogan, which was a really clever spin. Not that the rest of the book wasn't worth buying, but it was a fridge too far. <laughs> Aunt May just dies to die. And I'm like, mm. I didn't see, I didn't even know she died. I mean, why does she still die? He's not Spider-Man. Because she had to go. <laughs> because, because in the most like misogynistic way, she went shopping for a dress, so she died. Like, oh no. And then I mean, I, Ben was broken. Yeah. I mean, I guess that kind of fits the theme of the book. I mean, the theme of the book is supposed to be the extreme, you know, kind of, I mean, it's not like advertised that way, but like right people, right, right side of like, you know, the not left, but right. Um, the ripe people. And I was right like, yeah, people. these bitches are ripe. <laughs> but it's supposed to be like the extreme Christian kind of, kind of sexist, misogynistic kind of way of people. And I guess that kind of fits Aunt May still like dying after getting a dress that really fits this era but I feel like that could have been explained and like maybe um that issue where he shows up in what's that guy's called I don't know Hyperion, Hyperion thank you I my brain died so <laughs> he appears in Hyperion story I feel like that could have just been a side thing in Hyperion story since he's like yeah, yeah. It could have been mentioned yeah. instead of being shown. Now, my biggest problem with it, my biggest problem with it was, whew, hard to say, I felt like it didn't tell me anything new. Now, Jonah, you're kind of a thwip thwip guy, and this was, was this your first, like, real Spidey issue in a, in like a hot minute? Yeah, um, this is the first time I've read some, uh, some, uh, PP in a little while. Now, how did you feel about this interpretation of it? Um... I'm not sure how to feel. I don't I think I'm mostly neutral in that I understand the death of Aunt May was meant to be a parallel to how Uncle Ben died, but when Uncle Ben died, Peter realized that his responsibilities as a hero, as someone who can do good, was far greater than he originally anticipated. But without those powers in the death of Aunt May, he became incredibly entitled and self-whiny in the sense of he thought he deserved a better destiny than what he was given in this boring suburban life. And it really just kind of boggled my mind as to what happened because they, they kind of gloss over the time passed after when aunt may passes away because it talks about peter giving up college to take care of uncle ben but then the next time we see uncle ben he's completely fine but he and peter are fighting because peter's just being whiny and i don't understand the characterization either peter parker was a good person the entire time or he's a whiny man child who thinks he deserves more spider boy a whiny yeah. spider boy a whiny well he didn't get bit by that spider well yeah i mean is it look at me i'm a blue spider guy i mean isn't spider-man like that in the main universe too so it's sort of 
So I think I think if this issue had come out later in the run when we had seen that there are a lot more characters realizing that there's something wrong with the universe, I think his plight and his situation may have been part of him realizing there's something wrong with the universe. Like okay. that is mentioned and all of those guys is mentioned. I the one thing I really did like, it was really nice and cute to see Uncle Ben and Aunt May actually be a couple because you know, we got to see it for a good part of the book before she died. Hey, we got to see it in that comic trouble. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know why you would cut no, I agree with you. I actually thought that page of I don't like lima beans was like yeah. super beats. cute. Beats, beats, thank was, you, beats. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was gonna kill him in his sleep with a beat. Yep. It was kind of oh no. Yeah. <laughs> now, this does lead me to a question that that I kind of I kind of want to know, right? There's a danger with characters that we all accept that we understand, right? Like if I said to you, Superman, I would hope that the things that would come to your mind are the S stands for hope, the last son of Krypton. My question for you is, is there a danger in like these super like, you know, this person kind of character? Like, did we just sort of take for granted this Peter Parker issue? Because yeah, we know Peter Parker. Like, is that just such a foregone conclusion for us that we just sort of don't give a shit? Yeah, I would, I would agree. We probably, it's, Peter Parker is so sad. We're so saturated with Peter Parker content. Like he has so many books right now in the 616 and he even has, you know, past stories and even alternate universe stories going on right now. Um, yeah. And like, it's just a lot. And all those are really good. I mean, I've read most of them. They're written well, but it's like, and this I already have a great job too. Yeah. No, yeah, and it's with, amazing. with this alternate universe book, there's already so many tie-ins that sometimes some of, like you said, not every book is for everybody. And some of them are unfortunately going to fall to the wayside. I agree. And I feel like the shame is Jonah, you're actually a young scientist from one of the five boroughs who worked your way up from like a humble background to be a dynamic guy who was raised by a single woman. I don't know that there are books more aimed at you. And I can't help but feel that your vague indifference doesn't speak to the heart of the creative team, but rather the lack of anything new, maybe? Yeah, I think that's maybe what it is. Because thinking about it, like right now, I kind of understand why Peter would be angry because, you know, he lives a very boring life and someone that took care of him for a very long time just died without a second thought to what is that number to Hyperion who the Supreme Squadron doesn't care about the number of casualties. I think it was more about how I just didn't really need this story. Like if you wanted to make Peter be a villain and, you know, run a lot more expose style, um, issues in his writing Petey paparazzi whoa damn i think that would have been a really interesting turn of still giving us this is still the same character because i think at the end of the day i thought that that was almost the point of heroes reborn is that some of these people are still kind of the same as their 616 counterparts are just put into a different situation and i think not to fast forward way too much but we see that with like jessica jones and misty knight how they're very similar basically the exact same characters just in a different world so i think i would have rather have seen something like that as opposed to peter 
going a full 180 in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I don't know if that's just for me. I still think everything else about it is well written. The art is amazing. It's just not for me. I think my my final note on it in that similar way is I was the most upset that Flash Thompson was an asshole. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was, and then he grew past it. But it yeah, Agent Venom. It. He's Agent Venom. But he But he became he Agent it. Venom because of all that other stuff that happened. I he was know. an asshole at first. You're, <laughs> all right. You're all right, but you know, I just and like I don't even love Flash Thompson. Like, there's something about the fact that when given one of Peter's most evil enemies one of Peter's most obnoxious enemies became a better person. And so like that's Flash Thompson for me. So I'm I'm just like an Agent Venom guy. I don't you know. I don't know. But now from some people who kind of got regressed to their kids selves to some kids who took my fucking breath away. So Young Squadron, I knew that if Jim Zub was writing it, it was going to be spectacular. And I was really excited about Stephen Cummings and Eric Arseniega. But what I didn't expect was that when I got Sam and Kamala and Miles, which I, you know, I knew I was in for. I'm like looking, I'm like, okay, how did he get to be Nova in this world? All right. And how did she be? What, what, Kid Spectre? Kid Spectre? Kid Spectre? Kids. Because his heart. <laughs> oh my God. What? 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 Uh, and girl power. And poor Miles as the Falcon. Miles never gets to be a hero who's alive. If you think about it, he took on Spider Man after Pete died in the Ultimate Universe. Oh my God. Yeah. And he takes on Falcon now after Falcon died. Oh my God. So good. So well thought. Jim Zub. I just forever will be a big fan of this guy and the way he sees heroes. Mm-hmm. How did you guys, were you guys as taken as I was by this issue? Because I thought from Modak to the reimagined wrecking crew and Rick Jones, the only problem I had was dead. I just hit myself in the head real hard. I think <laughs> the only problem I had was Deadpool didn't fit for me, yeah. but yeah. I was bonkers about this issue. Were you guys as bonkified as I was? I loved that it showed, like, especially with Princess Power, it really showed a softer side of Zarda that we, mm-hmm. like, haven't seen anywhere else. Like, she took to Kamala. Squadron Steers, a thousand percent. Right? I was like, she took to Zarda. I mean, she took to Kamala in a way I was like, oh, is that the same character we're reading over there? But, like, it is. It is. It is. And, like, it showed that she can be multifaceted, even though she's a stone-cold hard bitch. But, like, she still got, like, some soft side to her. Mm-hmm. And Girl Power is the best name ever. Sorry. (laughs) I I think that it actually did wonders for the other two as well. We saw uh, Dr. Spectrum not be a crazed religious psychopath and actually be thankful for somebody else and actually want to repay, you know, the kindness that Sam showed him in helping him defeat these villains. And then we saw Nighthawk be absolutely ballistic over someone using his friend's name and costume. But like, isn't Nighthawk the one decent one? But that's what, that's what it is. He has to have a flaw. So that's his flaw that he has is like his anger issues or they doesn't want, you know, Miles to be Falcon because all the other squads of Supremes have something that is about them. Like um, the Spectre guy, he's too religious. The power woman, she is our power princess. She's like crazy angry. <laughs> like we haven't got to the hero six, we're born six years. Crazy raging angry. alcoholic. Yeah. And yeah. sex maniac. And I love her, and I want to be her, 
Um, but anyway, yeah. I must so... have the rainbow axe. I have all of my weapons because I must have the rainbow axe. I, I want that. Trade them. I want that so bad. That's beautiful. I mean, it's sad how she got it, but um, but like, yeah, Nighthawk needed something that made him not likable because in his main book in Heroes Reborn, sit, I mean, five, and then even in the um, the Knights one, American Knights, he's very likable. You like him? You're like, well, why is he bad? Why is he even with the Squadron Supreme? You know, he's not like them at all. But then in this book, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. He has anger issues too. And he's kind of like, I don't really know how to describe it, but he's just angry and not not logical in that kind of sense with Miles. Well, yeah. and it also just makes sense because you see a kid who's playing hero and you know how dangerous the business is. And he's also using the costume of your fallen best friend who you saw die right in front of you and he didn't ask. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be Kid Falcon. I'm going to be your new sidekick. Like, I kind of would be pissed too if someone just showed up and said, I'm your sidekick now. And I'm like, you did an audition. I didn't approve this costume. I didn't approve yeah. that name. Well, and, and, any, any, regret, that. any regrets Falcon's death, like insanely like so somebody going around being falcon yeah is gonna just be this open wound to him like he's he's this master brilliant strategist and he failed he failed falcon so it's yeah. like a reminder of his failure and, and it's we a, are gonna cover that the marvel double action that will be in our next episode but rod you were saying oh yeah i was like and it's a way for him to be opposite of batman because like i said all the squadron are opposite of their counterparts Batman oh, is like shit. Death in the family. Yeah, <laughs> and Batman is like, give me all of the young superheroes to mentor. I don't give care. Me all of these young super gymnastic boys. Right. Give me all the young super gymnastic boys and some girls, but I'll ignore the girls and hang on to the boys more. Um, Stephanie. I know he just ignores so much of the women, and they're so much better. But anyway, um, but Nighthawk is totally opposite. He's like, no young child, you are irresponsible, and you'll die because you're young and stupid get the fuck out of here like he's total opposite of batman and i love that in that sense because he should be that like no that young kid should not be putting on that costume and fighting crime like i love it it's cool but no he's gonna get hurt i absolutely agree i i oh oh the batman parallel <laughs> i've been so focused on like the falcon is his gwen stacy Mm. No, Gwen Stacy is Gwen Stacy. <laughs> well, because like now I want to see uh, Anthony Mackie in a cute little hot, sexy gay boy version of the Gwen Stacy costume. <laughs> I think he made that clear he's not going to do that. <laughs> but I mean, he's got the legs. So I really, ugh, the mental image. But, you know, and the whole giving Goblin to Miles in a roundabout way anyway by making Miles the Falcon and the Falcon have died at the Goblin's hands. That makes Miles, once again, the nemesis of a Goblin. Mm. And I kind of love that too much. But, you know, I, I have to know because I feel like if anybody is a Rick Jones fan on this show, it would be Nathan. I feel like it would be Nathan or Josh, no one in between. And <laughs> I loved Rick Jones as sort of like, like Rick Jones was sort of that guy that sells you weed in college, right? And, right. you know, he's, he's real smooth about it and he's real funny and he's always like, oh, I'm going to give it to you in an old notebook. And you're like, no, it still smells like weed, asshole. And he's usually a little bit too off because of the quaaludes that he doesn't even know where he is anyway. That take on Rick Jones was amazing! Now, <laughs> this take on Deadpool, exactly the same Deadpool, was not amazing. Now, Nathan, where do you land on Rick Jones? 
and then Deadpool, and then everybody on Deadpool. I would like to land on Deadpool. I so me and Rick Jones, I, you know, surprisingly, I always found him like oddly annoying. Like I don't know why. Like I love, I like, love this. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Like I, I love like all the people, character people, like characters people are like annoying. Like I love Wesley Crusher. Maybe I was the right age for that. But like Rick Jones, uh, like I loved it when Moon Dragon went after his ex-wife because that was amazing just to see. But um. Yeah, he's just, he's, he's okay. He's probably like, if I was a superhero in the superhero world, I'd probably be like Rick Jones, be that annoying guy. So maybe that's why I don't like him as much because I see a little bit too much of myself in him. And Deadpool, like, yeah, like I love, Deadpool's great. He's fun. I love him. I think my favorite AU Deadpool was Dead Man Wait. It was, uh, was in the Age of Apocalypse so far. Yeah. Oh, it was, that's such a it great take. It was, it was different. This this Deadpool's really still Deadpool. Like you said, it's just the same guy. Great guy, fun guy, but like, eh. Well, see, this one is the psychopath version more so. I mean, they're both, they're all psychopaths, but I like, <laughs> I, I, psychopaths. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot Rick Jones, like, my bad. I forgot Rick Jones was in this book. I was like, oh shit, he was. Oh yeah, he was a computer guy. Cool. Um, I don't really care about Rick Jones, so I forgot. I know, I'm, I told you I'm a horrible person. You should, I told you, you should listen. But you're brilliant, though. You. I didn't believe you. You're so brilliant. You just said that it's like the psychopath version, and if we keep running with our Batman thing, Deadpool is Harley Quinn. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. See, and that's probably why I like Deadpool in this, in this solo, because I was like, of course he's going to be wanting to fix continuity in a way because he breaks the fourth wall, but he's like a psychopathic because Captain America, he's like, you know, he always looked up the Captain Captain America and all that, but Captain America isn't existing, so it didn't really kind of set him straight. So it makes sense that he would want to kill children <laughs> to set things right. And I, I absolutely loved it. I was, and I love when um, Power Girl beat his ass. I was like, "Yes, Kamala, do it!" It was so cool. I like that they basically made her Donna Troy. As yes. she's so, fine I like the outfit. Totally yeah. fine with it. No complaints. And like. <laughs> I just want to point out that Wally West, as much as, I mean, look, guys, I understand. Y'all got Wally problems right now, and that's... Don't say anything bad about Wally West. That's got to <laughs> suck, right? But, but what I will say is that I have a different love for Wally West than the rest of you. When you guys think of Wally West, you think of Kid Flash. When I think of Wally West, I think of the fact that he was the first ever Kid Lantern. Oh, when I think of Wally West, I think of Justice League animated series, and that's it. <laughs> okay. Hey, when I think of JoJo's super cute Wally West cosplay. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's real hot. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it fits me anymore, which is the sad part. But uh, when I think of Wally West, I think of Teen Titans and his romance with Jinx. So, oh. Okay. Now, you know, I, I think of the fact that we actually got, like, a kid spectrum here. We got, like, a kid Green Lantern, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not really one of the the core members of the justice league that you would expect and while i am certainly not i'm trying to think of the right way to put it i understand the very delicate nuance of it i'm maybe only a little disappointed that shape and size changing kamala didn't become like a really cool beast girl Mm. that would have been really fun change up i would have really liked the visual on that and I realized that we couldn't have Wally as a young Flash because Blur is a child. He is. Oh, yeah. 
So Blur couldn't have anyone to mentor, so they mentored this way instead. And, you know, Young Hyperion, you really couldn't do Trinity here. No. So, Jonah, what do you think about Deadpool as Harley to Norman's Goblin, who became... I, I don't even know. I, I, the Joker. Yeah. Um, my question is then, who is Deadpool's Poison Ivy? I can only Shit. dream it's Logan. No, he's too busy in Canada right now. Yeah, he's for in Final Canada. Flight. It would be um, like Shutter, maybe the Shutterbug when he goes crazy and he spells spidery. Oh, because you know what, Spidey Pool is a thing for people. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our, like, where's Domino? I would love that. Uh, on that island, uh, mutant uh, is island she? mutants. Is she? I think she was, <laughs> or she's dead. Or dead. She's uh, everyone's she's, dead. She's probably dead. <laughs> I actually really did enjoy this take on Wade. I I really like Rod. Your uh, read on it that he is in his own way trying to correct the world because he knows what it should be. Um, and I think the only other person who would also know what it should be would be Jen Walter She-Hulk, but she's not She-Hulk right now. She's just practicing law in California. So she's the only person, one of the only characters who does consistently break the fourth wall in the way that he would know this is not how it's supposed to be. But what is he supposed to do about that? And I imagine that it, you would go mad and you know insane that nobody's listening to you and that nothing is right. And you kind of just start doing wacky shit and pulling hammers and katanas out of nowhere and trying to kill kids on fucking roller coasters. <laughs> Which is where I got to the Harley uh, Joker of it. I'm like, tying kids to roller coasters. Uh, yep. I went arcade for some reason. Ugh. Oh, but I get that too. Yeah, I can see that. He's now, a psychopath. <laughs> speaking of people who didn't survive, we're going to take a look at Siege Society. Can I, before we get into it, can I pose a question? Sure. <laughs> Have they talked about where Captain Britain is? Who cares? No. <laughs> because there's two things about this. Because I think of one. Would you say who cares? I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it becomes important because one, where where does Captain Britain and Saving Britain come into play with Sea Society? But not even that, just in the American imperialism of bleeding over into Great Britain again. But two, where does that leave Jamie Braddock? Because I imagine if Jamie Braddock is left unchecked, he literally can just undo all of Mephisto's work, no? So here's the thing. That's true. Yeah, it has to do with how Jamie got his powers. Mm -hmm. If Jamie never fought Doc Croc, the voodoo witch doctor man, then Jamie never would have gone all walking like this and wearing briefs all the time. And he wouldn't get all the strings. So um, I feel like as long as he never met Doc Croc, Jamie's just not a player. Mad Jim Jaspers, however, I'm Mm. just saying. But, but... Zarda had that big war of realms, and we don't know what realms she fought. So maybe she fought against the otherworldian realms because she does have the siege um, perilous, and um, I mean it's like tangently connected to other worlds. So I, that's what I'm thinking. I like the read. And also, are these other heroes that are meant to mimic other members of the Justice League? Like there was that one guy who is meant definitely meant to be Hawkman. Um, like that guy, or like Arcana, are those actual characters, or were those just made up for this time? So, Arcana is my favorite member of the Squadron Supreme ever. She is their Zatanna, and she is amazing, and she is a classic Squadron character, and I'm obsessed with her. The oh. best version of her is from the Supreme Squadron 
by JMS, who would eventually join the Ultimate Universe, and she would hang out with the Ultimates for a long time. And that version of Arcana is spectacular. Uh, Tom Thumb is an actual member of the squadron as well. He is a full-on squatty. I think that the bird guy was Angel, who had been a defender. So uh -huh. I think oh. he could be playing that role. He was from money. He could be explained away as oh. beautiful, not a mutant freak. And mm. so I thought that was Angel. But both Tom Thumb and Arcana are both major players in the Squadron Supreme verse, and they are two of my favorites. So I was very sad that Wanda away Arcana so quickly. Well, Wanda could kick her ass. Wanda could kick, did kick her ass very, very easily, <laughs> I might add. Um, I'm pretty sure all three of the other Squadron Supreme members that aren't mainstays of who we're focusing on, I think all three of them died this issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It, makes that, it makes this siege. And that's something that I really appreciated. If this is Siege and they mentioned War of the Realms and, you know, they're, they're trying to create a, a tapestry of the Marvel Universe in the Squadron's vernacular. Now, I don't know about you guys, but Siege is probably one of my all-time favorite moments in Marvel history. The the moment that my guy, I mean, I'm, I might be dressed kind of, and you can, I mean, I, <laughs> I have a thing for hammers. And, you know, the moment where the, the three, the trinity of the Avengers came back together is so powerful and so palpable. And it's the moment of change for Loki. And it's the deciding moment that the heroes are going to be victorious. I feel like in a lot of ways, without those tent poles of growing, without those moments of dark sacrifice, it's really hard to make me compellingly care about these characters. I really appreciated getting to see Wanda again and getting to see Natasha again. But Rod, how do you feel? Do you have the same, like, do you just carry over your affection like a remainder? Or, you know, is this like harder for you to attach to these iterations? I didn't really care about, um, I cared about Natasha because I think she's basically just herself in this book. So I was like, okay. And then I care about Wanda because we saw her in another book and I like her. I like her style and her way, the way she is with all her powers in this book. Cause I'm like, oh, she's just let loose. She's just crazy. We don't get to, we don't get to see Wanda ever. So I'm like, I love seeing her in a comic book, even if it's alternate universe again. Um, but everybody else, like, I'm not a big fan of Sabretooth. So I was like, I don't care. And, <laughs> and then, and then the, um, the other wannabe Captain America guy, I was like, I don't care about you. And I know this is going to hurt you, Nico, but I don't really care about Baron Zemo either. So <laughs> he is a good villain and he is like, I, I appreciate him for what he does. But in this book, I was just like, he can, he can die. It's fine. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't need him here the way I needed other people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind Scott Lang as Fire Ant. Yeah, that it was, was kind of oh, okay. That was cool. That was cool. That was a different take on Scott Lang, and I appreciate that because actually made him more useful than what he usually is. Because hey, we're doing about... truth bombs. Well, let's talk about Ant Men for a minute. I'm gonna say something very unpopular, which is well, I, in many ways, think the best Ant Man is Eric O'Grady because he's such a piece of shit. Oh, right? okay. <laughs> I kind of love Eric O'Grady. I would have preferred if this was G.I. Ant-Man to Scott Lang. I know mm. Scott Lang started as a criminal, 
but I think Eric is actually just kind of garbage and it yeah. would have made some sense. Nathan, how do you feel about the treatment of the tiny little ant people in this universe? And, you know, Ant-Man became Ultron. Yeah. Scott Lang, Ant-Man became a bad guy. Aunt May became flower food. I feel like all of the Jan, Jan people got turned to stone. Jan got turned to stone. Jan was a villain. I yeah, Jan was a villain. Like, you know, in a universe that says Hank Pym's a great husband, I could see Jan turning into Honestly, <laughs> honestly. Maybe she got like, with I'm down with that. <gasps> okay, that was like the best like worst thing ever that was a little <laughs> secret wars to slip in yes <laughs> yes that was like ooh, and they mm, yeah but no i it's it's great i like now i'm just looking to see uh yellow jacket what rita like oh, want somebody to like bring her back somehow that's a good poor girl poor girl got off in the fucking crossing of all things like yeah we could get nadia somehow it could happen i do love uh, nadia it could it could just happen. It doesn't yes. make sense. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's girls reborn. You could do anything. It's fine. <laughs> she could be reborns. It could happen. <laughs> now, here's my thing. Once again, Jonah, my my wonderful my wonderful man. I send you into these things, going, you know everything you need to know. You're fine, and. You get there, and it's like when the teacher said, I think I'm giving you five questions for homework, and you see that it's like six pages, and they just weren't paying attention to their lesson plan. So uh, how did you feel about this book where you knew no one but Sabretooth? I know who Natasha and Clint are. That's true. They, They just weren't really well utilized for how front and center they were. I this this was the issue that I didn't I knew nobody, but I liked some of the characters and I liked this idea of sneaking into like one of Nighthawk's bases to try to like blow it up and like get all his information. I actually liked the moment where Natasha and Clint and Scott were more hired mercenaries as to actual participation in this you know um, espionage mission. It was interesting enough, but I don't know a lot of the historical context of what Siege Society was meant, was already was, and what was meant to be. So a lot of the impact was lost on me. I didn't particularly care too much of like the events of what happened because I was like, well, nothing really happened anyway. It was kind of pointless in that sense. I do question where this fits in with the Blur issue in terms of timeline because mm. it seems like Blur hasn't questioned his own position yet. And that was a major point of his solo issue that I didn't really see here. So I question where it comes into play. So this is probably an, a further back issue in your opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I it should be because Natasha and Clint haven't been captured yet. And I believe in the Dr. Spectrum issue or someone talks about them being captured yeah. in that uh being imprisoned so it does have to be a lot more past which i guess makes sense it just i guess just felt weird i think this is one of the issues that felt out of place i unfortunately felt that we have one issue to go that was maybe a little bit more out of place now, when I think of Paul Grist, I think of the Union at Marvel. Yep. So I think very the British, right? And then here he comes in with American Knights. <laughs> and it's, right, it, it, that was two ships trying to pass in the night, but accidentally tearing each other apart across the ocean. So I'm, 
unabashedly and unashamedly a humongous Daredevil fan. And of course, all of the things that go with Daredevil. I feel like liking one member of the Marvel Street levels is to be an asshole. If you like Daredevil, you kind of got to love Jess. There's no wiggle room there. If you love Jess and you don't at least have room in your heart for Danny, you don't get to have Luke, and having Luke is always the goal. So, like, and Misty comes with heroes for hire, and that means Colleen comes, and, like, this is a huge number of characters that mean a lot to a lot of us. And I don't think I particularly cared for anybody but Crazy Saint. Uh, Jess was fine. Misty was fine. But they didn't feel like active participants. They felt just kind of there. Yeah. Was I the only one who felt that perhaps this whole issue was just kind of a foregone conclusion of Luke's a tough cop and he's not here to take your bullshit. And also Daredevil behaving like Bullseye. It was very that. I felt yeah. like like how the um, Scudderbug issue was supposed to be in Hyperion's issue. I felt like this should have been in Nighthawk's issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it was, ba- it was just like a second, like, innuendo of his psyche nighthawk and then as like his relationship with luke cage and all that yeah. and i was like i get that and i appreciated it for what it was i did want more missy knight and jessica jones because they were like they were so like quirky with each other and in the uh, 616 they never want to work with each other so it was nice to see <laughs> them actually with each other um but yeah this was i felt like it ran a little long for what it was like i feel like they had to like make more story just because they had to feel the whole issue and i was like Man, this could have been shorter, and I feel like if it would have been shorter, it would have been even a better story. Luke Cage and Serpico was not what I needed for 38 pages opposite Nick Cage's performance in Face Off as Daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the second I I opened it up and I saw Luke Cage was a a cop, I was like... uh... Uh, this isn't really doing it for me. Yeah, I read it. It just, nothing struck me as, like, yeah, seeing uh, Matt in his role was kind of interesting, but Jessica was basically the same. Misty was basically the same. I always love seeing Jess and Misty, but, like, eh, it really didn't do anything for me. I almost wish that they didn't utilize Misty and Jessica because they didn't feel enough like different characters. They really felt yeah. like more transplants from 616. Yeah. And that's fine, but these are characters that have notoriety and have some form of popularity. I kind of wish that either it was not them, it was other characters who we haven't seen in a long time, someone like Colleen Wing, or other, there have to be other named characters or humans that are named cops or detectives within the Marvel Universe that you could have pulled from to use. Um, it really felt super out of place it also felt a little out of place for me in terms of just this this taking place in dc and like all four of these people who are street level heroes in 616 in new york all just happened to be in dc as well it was a i don't know if the scenery really needed to change i don't know if that actually changed anything about it in a meaningful way um I appreciated the dichotomy of looking at Luke and Matt in this new world, but I think that everybody else got the sidebar for that to happen. Yeah. And I think that part of that is because we don't really always connect with the the detective side of DC. You know, I forget that Batman is the world's greatest detective until I suddenly remember that Batman is the world's greatest detective. And then I'm like, oh, right. He can't, he can't find the clitoris. Uh, clearly. <laughs> and, you know, we have the whole, um, you know, uh, Gotham Central kind of vibe. 
And so there is a lot of detective street level work over at DC, but I think sometimes we just sort of forget it's there. I mean, yeah. they're actually called Detective Comics. <laughs> right, they are actually fun, called Detective Comics. Fun fact, the DC stands for Detective Comics. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, even... Shit, I'm not even going to go down that wormhole with saying that Batman barely ever uses detective skills. But um, anyway, <laughs> I I feel like making... I, I get what they were trying to do, make Luke Cage the cop and, like, you know, make the system better from the inside because he is a black man, and then show this white man trying to take him down, which is, like, a talk on societal issues and all of that, and et cetera, et cetera. But he, Luke Cage isn't, like, a detective or anything in that sort of sense in the last universe in 616. And I get that you're changing people for this universe, but they still kind of have the same traits, and I feel like it was just such a, a weird placement for him in this book. And it, and it was, they. I feel like they just did that just because Nighthawk is black. And they're like, oh, well, who's the other black character that's a city hero? Oh, it's Luke Cage. Okay, well, let's do that. So The last issue we're here to talk about today is Heroes Reborn number six, which I think along with the blur issue, Heroes Reborn number six is such a pinnacle moment for the series. Number one, I love that it focuses on Zarda. Number two, I love that it focuses on Zarda and had a female lead artist. That is so important. And number three, and that is the goddamn a motherfucking axe. They don't get that as a fucking toy. I want it. I want it now. I'm going to lose my shit. I'm going to lose my <laughs> shit completely. Everybody said that it only exists to sell toys. And if that's the case, sell them. The fucking toy then. Shit. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> So what did you guys think of this issue? I know that we all were pretty positive on it in the green room. Oh, I I love this. Um, Zarda, to me, in terms of all of the members of the Squadron Supreme, is, I think, probably the most evil out of all of them. Because at least for Dr. Spectrum, he thinks he's doing good. And he at least thinks he's in the right. And it's so bad. And he's still very clearly evil. But he thinks he's tr- he thinks he's helping. He thinks and he's people. He thinks he's people. He thinks he's God, actually. And Zarda doesn't think any of that. She just wants to fight, and she just wants to kill, and she just wants to drink, and she just wants to fuck. And there's nothing wrong with that. She very clearly has, in my opinion, the least amount of morals and the least amount of morality compass when it comes to what they're doing because you see blur and nighthawk question a lot of what's going on hyperion just doesn't really seem to care the other two are very complacent and i think there's there i guess maybe i consider knowingly evil and not caring and wanting to actively do harm is a little bit worse than doing a lot of harm but thinking you're in the right i would agree with that yeah because at least your heart is kind of in the right place in a sense because it's not in the right place because it's evil but like you think you're doing good so you're the hero of your own story so it's like there is good in your heart it's just that your heart is ignorant and corrupted so but with zarda she just doesn't give a shit because she's powerful and badass and it's like everyone should bow down to me and eat my vagina so (laughs) which i i I, maybe it's weird that i um no i mean sure why not but i identified with her so much when i read this issue i was like when she was like oh i don't want to invite hyperion over because yeah he we could sleep together whatever but then he won't stop fucking talking and then i don't give a shit about any of that bullshit that he's concerned about and i was like yes i understand 
I have been there. Namor. Who, who was the fucking top? Namor. You Namor backed everybody. You until you fuck on the seafloor. I... It's gotta be... Because doing stuff in, like, a pool is not great. But maybe if you have superpowers, it feels better. Because, <laughs> I mean, he lives in the ocean. And she has... True, if you have the blood to breathe, there you go. I imagine it's like a lot of sensation because there's so much barometric pe- pressure like that deep in the sea level. I imagine that's like, it's true. Like really heavy oh. and like they're so strong. Yeah, it's like like a real challenge to like move around and like you're really glued to one another. Mm-hmm. Probably very intimate. Also, you got yeah. like a bunch of fish flying around. Yeah, <laughs> and this is what we're talking about. Yeah, female hero. alcoholism and aggression problems and PTSD and hate rage and murdered Liliana and murdered her with Colossus and killed Jean, took on Planet Hulk Hulk. I was getting there. And we're we're getting there. She loves to have tectonic sex at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, Y'all, I I love Jean Grey too, but I... Comic book boner with that. I was just so enthralled. I was like, yeah, she's so amazing. She stoned all these people. Hella, no, Hercules, Janet Van Dyne. Like, I, I just, uh. I, I'm with you until she worked with Scourge. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh my God. Her defeating Gore and the All Black was like the best moment of my life. But her being like Scourge, that's a guy I want to work with. I mean, maybe, because Scourge will kiss anybody's ass to survive, so that's probably what he did, because he doesn't want to die. So, I could see her working with him just because he was like, please don't kill me, I'll help you kill things, even though she didn't need help. So... Okay. Lest we not forget, she literally contemplated while she was drunk off her mind, maybe I should start another war. Yes. I... Loved it. <laughs> she... She was like, maybe I should call Hyperion and do something, get him to fight Nighthawk again, or do this and do that. And I was like, I love the pettiness. I love the pettiness of her. She's just so bored. She wants to kill things. And I'm just like, would I be this way if I had omnipotent power? And I would like to think no. I feel like we all like to think we wouldn't be like Power Princess. We would be like, I guess like Thor or like Captain America or anything like that. But if you have no one... Like, combating with you. And you can beat everybody. Like, you can get whatever you want. It's kind of hard not to be like Power Princess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the highlight of the of the issue for me was her battle against Thor. Because it was a dynamic... It was a dynamic point of comparison, you know? We've got, we've got you know, Power Princess, and she's in this vacuum. And we, and we see her fight Gore. And don't get me wrong. I have this theory that just because you okay hear me out okay this is this is a thing okay i do not think that just because person a defeated person b that that means that if person b defeats person c that wait i said it wrong i just don't think that just because you can both beat the same person I don't think that means that you automatically like will beat each other. Like I think there's things about how people's interplay works and seeing Thor come in really made me feel like, okay, now I have a metric I can compare Zarda to. Okay. 
you're you're saying in terms of superhero fighting analytics, there's no transitive property. Yeah. Just because A beat B and B beat C does not mean that A will beat C. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I mean, that's basically. I feel like Twitter is all about that argument every single time with those memes on who's going to beat who every single day. And it always is so fun. It never gets annoying. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's all comic book. You know, it depends who the writer is and who's going to beat him. I mean, technically, Squirrel Girl could probably beat Zarda if the right writer is there. But, I it's mean, it, right? <laughs> she beat Thanos. But in this reality with Jason Aaron, I doubt he's going to have Squirrel Girl beat Zarda. She's probably going to decapitate Squirrel Girl, and that would probably be, you know, logical because Zarda decap like defeated the Phoenix and spread her across the cosmos. So she could do that. <laughs> like, what can she do? I think, I think Dazzler could beat Zarda. <laughs> See? Write that story and then it's your power because you're the writer and you will have Dazzler beat Zarda in some kind of crazy way. Does she team up with Blackwell at least to get supercharged? I mean, something. 